Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. everybody and welcome to a discussion episode uh, post season two of the sleep wake cycle. Very exciting. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, what may be coming down the pipe in the near future. And we're going to be fielding questions from social media and our patrons as well. Uh, and if that's something you're interested in to learn more about Maltopia and the sleep wake cycle and everything we have going on, you can join our Patreon for just a few bucks a month, submit your questions, uh, meet all the other patrons, have a good time. Uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash Maltopia. I am Walker, the editor and I guess contributing writer of Maltopia. And with me today, we have the brothers, of course, Mark. Say Hello. hi, Mark. How are you doing? The creative engine and main writer for Maltopia. We also have his younger brother, Steve. Say hi, Steve. Hello. The, he, these two are the co-founders of Maltopia. Steve is the literal engine of the company, jack of all trades, doing everything. He's also our audio engineer, uh, main writer, um and pretty much anything else you can think of and very special guest we have kelly bear with us you know her you love her she voices most all of our female characters and we are so happy every day to have her on board say hi kelly hello that me <laughs> <laughs> and as an extra extra special guest we have her husband david cummings 
creator, mastermind behind a uh, small podcast you may have heard of called the No Sleep Podcast. <laughs> and uh, if you were paying attention to season two of the Sleep-Wake Cycle, you heard him voice a few very special characters for us. And we're uh, so happy and so honored to have you uh, both in the show and on our little uh, discussion podcast. So thank you, David. Uh, David, it's a pleasure. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't give you a chance to uh, stay high so they would recognize your voice. Please uh, take two. Well, thank you, gentlemen, and that very attractive lady. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> you flatter me, sir. Now, um, <laughs> David does have a very limited uh, uh, window to speak with us tonight. He has uh, a high priority mission. He has to go record 90 day fiance on the DVR for Kelly. So that far supersedes anything to do with podcasting or even national security or the space exploration, uh, what have you. So we are going to focus a little on David first before uh, fielding other questions and just kind of seeing what happens. So David, what did you think of uh voicing season uh some characters in season two and um insert valid question here i don't know <laughs> we'll clean that up and post as well well it was uh, it was a lot of fun i was thrilled when kelly mentioned that you guys were looking for uh for a voice uh, from me and so it's uh it's fun to do characters like fajin that's you know he's he's a big bigger than life character and uh you know it's fun to just be able to uh i, I wouldn't say go over the top with it but just to make him this this grand uh you know exalted kind of character and and try to find a voice to match that so it was a lot of fun and i appreciate being asked to do it absolutely and it was uh, uh i i love the voice in fact when i was creating the character like i can only do so many voices so i'm always trying to figure out ways to kind of you know twerk twerk that's not the word i'm looking for is that the word <laughs> Tweaking maybe it is we don't know you. you know everybody's got their own technique maybe i was twerking <laughs> you never know um but i was i, I really wanted a a very um just a, a very rich sounding voice and you definitely came through that was an excellent voice and um i think it really kind of hit the the nail on the head with regards to how they matched up with each other and um after I heard it, I'm like, you know, because he was already slated to, you know, unfortunately, he his time in the the Malverse was 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 scripted short. So, so I was I was very sad to see him go. Um, but we then got you again for Gloomhast, which is a character that um, everybody's very familiar with, and and he is still amongst the living. Um, but yet again, uh, underneath we had to add some effects because you know he's extra dimensional and so on and so forth so he had to have the requisite extra dimensional audio effects yeah. um but yet again it was a perfect match the voice was great yeah but with with I'd like to add with uh Fajin, it was excellent because there, there's you know as, as we're building this giant world we have we have these various different families and various different groups and there's another moffat in another show which is uh grimland and it's it was nice to see the two kind of match up in personality as the Moffats are known to be kind of larger in life and they're these self-indulgent these self-important people who see themselves as these 
he sages these these mm-hmm. higher, bigger than life type of people because they can see what they see. And I, I liked the I, I liked what you brought to it because very similar. Um, it jived well with the other character, Cyrus, who's in Gremlin, and um, gives enough people an idea of just the Moffats are weirdly detestable, but they're they're also they're morally nebulous. Nobody knows really mm. what they're up to, why they do the things that they do. They, they kind of sometimes do bad things. Sometimes they do good things. They do, no one really knows what they're up to. Mm. So I, I really, I really liked your take on the character. The better, the better voice than mine, to be honest with you. You have a very, very good voice. I, and I really, well, I mean, there was a, there was a, a prophecy I remember in uh, Fajin's uh, concluding moments where it was a very important, prophecy that needed to get out there for purposes of just kind of consolidating the plot and drawing a lot of lines between various things that was going on and why the, you know, the dynamic things that were happening. And so it was nice to have a very, just a very definitive chiseled, very, very memorable uh, voice attached to that so Mm -hmm. that it kind of resonates and echoes in the back of people's heads when I bring it up again in the later episode. So that was, that was very nice to have that as something that really sat and stuck that scene in people's heads. Well, that's Blue great. Mess, that just I loved. I loved your voice on Blue Mess. That was like perfect for Blue Mess. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's sometimes it's hard when, uh, you know, recording remotely and not having people in the room and that type of thing to give directions. So self-directing voices can be tough sometimes, but I'm really thrilled that it, it worked out for you. And I found the right sort of tone that you guys were looking for. So. That's always good to hear. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. And and plus, he, Gloomhast didn't get my characteristic like um, altered bad British voice that I generally trot out whenever <laughs> I'm doing like the big, you know, the boss. I guess would be the the appropriate term to label him with. And uh, so it was it was nice to have something uh, different for people to hear uh, attached to somebody who's definitely a major player within the um, the 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 story of what was going on, the prophecy of what was going on at that particular time. So that was, that was nice too. Excellent. Um, Kind of a a tangential question a little bit, but I just wanted to take advantage of uh, David's time. (laughs) Um, Given that you're, uh, you know, one of the uh, great names in podcasting, what, could you uh, share with us regarding your thoughts on kind of fiction podcasting in general, the difference between audio drama and the more audiobook, <laughs> how the pandemic kind of affected everything? These are all very big questions. Feel free to hit or miss whichever you like. But um, how do you feel in general about uh, podcasting, where it's at now, where it may be going, that kind of thing? Yeah, podcasting these days it's it's so different than when than when I started back in 2011, I guess it was. Um yeah, it's uh you know back then it seemed so um grassroots and very organic. People were just doing it. Uh you know, there's no money in it back then and they were doing it for just the love of it. It was a hobby. That's how I started just as a hobby. And as podcasting has progressed and you know, we, we always joked in the beginning, the most common question we got was, whoa, what's a podcast, you know, and now people know what a podcast is. They might not be listening to them all the time, but they know what they are. So, 
Uh, so in the last few years, even prior to the pandemic, there there was more uh, kind of Hollywood money and Hollywood producers coming into it. And once people realized, hey, we can make money doing this, then it started to get you know bigger business. And you know, as I say, Hollywood or the entertainment industry got into it. And you saw podcasts, audio fiction podcasts with Julia Roberts and Remy Malek and people like that. So. Um, I mean, it, it's, uh, I, I think audio drama and presenting stories in an audio format, uh, it's been around since recorded audio has been around. So I think there's always going to be an audience there. I think um, it's going to continue to grow. And, you know, these days, what I see a lot of is there are people who are creating these projects or these like 10 episode little mini series, and they create a podcast for it. And the goal is to pitch it to get some sort of screen adaptation. And so I think if with, if people approach it that way, if it's that sort of, I, want, I, don't, I don't know if I should say cynical, but it's a very calculated approach. We're going to take this story, we're going to make 10 episodes, and hopefully we can get it on the screen. But I think when there are people out there, people like you folks, uh, people like me even, who are creating audio dramas and audio fiction podcasts really for the love of it. And sure, I mean, if somebody came along and say, hey, we want to take this story and make a movie out of it, we're all for that, but the, the, our approach has always been audio first. And, and so that's, that's our approach. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully there's, there can be a good balance between the big name Hollywood people who want to create their big, you know, huge blockbuster audio productions and hopes to do bigger and better things. But I think as more people find the audio drama space and creative people, great writers and great sound designers and stuff. I think it's just going to continue to find bigger audiences. And uh, yeah, I think there's, there's kind of nowhere, nowhere to go, but up because there's, there's a lot of people out there who would love the kind of things that we do, but they just need to discover us. So yeah, I think that's, mm -hmm. there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of good growth that could happen. Yeah. I think it's a lot of, uh, I agree, discoverability. Um, I was talking to other people and, you know, most people who you ask them about podcasts are like, Oh, like Joe Rogan or like, they associate podcasts with talk shows. And, but I've seen progressively more and more people being like, Oh, they did an audio drive. They do shows that are at like, like TV shows, but they're audio. Like, but like you said, like, like they, like they, it's a, that's how I explained the podcast to my dad and my mom. Like, well, what the hell was that? I'm like, you remember those old radio shows you guys listened to before TV? I'm like, yeah, that's what they are, except they're on the internet. That's what it is. And uh, they're like, oh, well, that's really cool. And they, they they really liked them. And, you know, uh, I think a lot of people will come to like them as they, they get more and more introduced to them. Because uh, yeah. I, I used to not listen to them, but now I listen to audio dramas all the time. Um, yeah. They're just as fun to me to, to listen to as it is to watch a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read something, um, I forget, several months ago. I just kind of skimmed it, but kind of talking about it, it seemed like the, the the current atmosphere was that the the podcasting bubble for the big the big businesses out there was kind of over and that there wasn't any money in it. And I think for, uh, you know, it's, as you said, David, it's almost... Um, it's at its best when it's the almost exclusively indie kind of vibe that it's it's kind of always been. And I think a lot of us would kind of be kind of unaffected by those kinds of headlines like, oh, there's no money in podcasting anymore. 
Well, for a lot of us, there never was, and there still isn't. So we're not really sure what you're talking about. But when I see things, for example, like, you know, a new Marvel podcast and stuff, like, it's like, oh, wow, th those guys are into this. And it's like, okay. It, what do you like about uh, it? It doesn't appeal to me, but um, it, it, it almost seems like two separate realms. Mm -hmm. of uh, podcasting where, uh, you know, for the indie folks, it was never a marketing tool or a stepping stone. It was a way to, um, as it was for the brothers, especially who need a creative outlet or they'll uh, literally lose their minds. It's a pressure valve and to actually find an audience makes it all the sweeter, but they're going to do this anyway because they have to. And it allows in a way that virtually no other medium does. It allows people like the brothers, like you, like uh, the rest of us indies to find some kind of audience, some kind of following, not for money, though it is always nice to at least have expenses covered, but for the fellowship of it. Mm -hmm. Hey, I created this thing. Take a look. Hey, this is really good. And just that discussion and sharing in the creative process, sharing what it means to be a creative being, not to get too um, existential, but um, that very much seems to have um, both survived the big business bubble, but also um, I, it makes sense that it was also uh, helped to some uh, degree by the pandemic. Um, allowing conditions that just kind of um, put podcasting in front of people um, in a more direct way that they may not have uh, previously. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love your take on it. Well, I just want yeah, to say I, too, I sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, let's hear from Kelly. Yeah, well, let's hear from me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, David, we were talking about this. People had come to you during the pandemic and kind of the, towards the end-ish of it, kind of in the end-ish part now, but about how this the, the podcast, No Sleep Itself, really got people through it and how it was like this lifeline, right? And like you're talking about like the, the, a family, the community, like you're feeling like, you know, you you identify with the people that you listen to weekly. Um Am I, I'm correct on that, right? It, it, you kind of got a little bit of that feedback from people, um, especially when you went live again, uh, like at the Stanley Hotel, people came up and I think they were talking about that, right? Yeah, it's true. There, there's always been that that sense of, of connection with the audience. And I think what's nice with podcasting is that uh, it is a very intimate kind of connection. And um, there's a lot of podcasters out there who will talk about that, how fans will tell them, uh, you know, the, the fans can create a connection to the host or the people on the mm -hmm. podcast. And yeah, it's it's remarkable, some of the stories that I've I've heard. And, and you're right, Kelly, especially during the pandemic, there's a certain, uh, you know, sanity check where where everything else is so crazy, but a podcast that's regular, that's sort of faithfully out there every week. And the same the same kind of voices of the people who they, they're familiar with and they're kind of they have that almost familial kind of uh, connection with yeah there is that uh that very strong connection and uh 
and and yeah, it's it's. I think that's something that people are searching for. And and I, I I've listened to other podcasts, and of course, you know, every every podcast host will say, "Oh, our fans are the best fans in the world," and you know, we we love the way they connect with us. But yeah, I think that's especially you know we sort of dovetailing with the idea of uh, you know making money through podcasting or connecting that way. I think that's a big reason why advertisers and sponsors have re- reacted and reached out to podcasting because they know that even if it's you know even if it's an ad you've heard on every podcast you've listened to for like squarespace or casper mattresses or something like that when you have a host read ad you know someone who's listened to my voice for years and i'm telling them about a product that they might like there's that connection and so it's not just here's here's an ad from some person they never heard of but if i'm saying check out this product then there that connection that kelly mentioned that that's been there for years that that has a little more sway and so i think even even sponsors and advertisers have noticed that intimacy that connection between podcaster and, and audience no we, and that's we had seen that too um which is always extraordinarily um you know it's it, it's comforting to know that people are out there listening to you and gaining some degree of connection with what it is that you have to say and the material that you're putting out there especially when they're finding more than just you know a simple use cause for it like oh, i just listen to it because i like it but it's actually filling up some kind of um moment for them you know like they're driving it's their commute to work or it's they're blowing off steam after they come back from work or something like that to know that you're ingrediential into that pro that process that they engage every day is it, it's important and it's um you know at times it's overwhelming too because when you're writing the podcast or you're doing the podcast you're sitting at your computer and there's nobody around and it doesn't seem like something that's going to be jettisoned out into the you know, the 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 uh, internet to be received by thousands of people who are going to take what you're doing at that very moment and be processing it, processing it in so many different ways. It's um, it's it's always very surprising and it's always very satisfying, especially when people come back and say, hey, you know, I listened to this episode or I've been listening to you guys for so long and it's helped me get through my day. It's helped me. You know, we've even had people say things like, you know, I'm going through a divorce or, or whatever they might be going through and it's helped them, which, you know, that's. I don't know how Maltopia helps people through some of those more, those more complex social problems, but as long as it's doing that, I'm very happy for them. But um, you know, it's it's always very um, uh, satisfying to know that your work isn't just doing what it's designed to do, but it's doing a lot of tangential stuff that's very uh, pro-social, very positive for people. Yeah. And um, you know, that's that's something that we took very seriously when we started to get into the neurodivergent stuff where we were actually sharing the specific things that we had going on with us and, and developing them into the stories and then getting feedback from people who benefited from that. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's been a very rewarding and surprising path that we've taken through all this because it wasn't anything that we'd initially expected to encounter. And uh, like you said, there's there, when we first started, uh, we were on Facebook. I mean, we didn't even know, that you could do a podcast. My brother was just talking about, hey, you know, you should get on Facebook. Uh, at this point in time, I was very resistant to social media. And I was like, if this I got was on- what, 20, 2015 or so? We, yeah, were on we, Facebook. we jumped on around 2015. And I said, you know, if I got a Facebook page, it would be just me lying, saying I'm in different places, doing different things, or maybe pretending to be a serial killer or something, because I can't imagine anybody being that interested in my life. So I'd have to, you know, falsify things. And he's like, oh, that's kind of an interesting idea. So we went further with it. And I'm like, well, what if I pretended to be a serial killer leaving posts on Facebook? Wouldn't that be kind of interesting? And it just kind of developed from there. And, you know, I remember, um, I remember the day, right? The, the day I was over at his house and I'm like, 
you know, I heard of these things, podcasts. I'm like, they're, they're like audio dramas. I'm like, we could just, why don't we just turn the family man into a yeah, podcast? We, He's we like, well, what do we, what do we need? I'm like, I don't know. I think we need a microphone and a computer. I mean, and that's the thing. That's the cool thing about podcasts. There's a low kind of financial bar to entering. And, and yeah. as long as you're creative, you can, you can get into it and you can be successful yeah, I mean, as long as you've got a, an intriguing idea. And that's what we did really. Man, we'll just turn it into one. We, that's what we did. We just started recording and, Threw it out there and saw what we could find, and we we got this audience. And I always went from there. Earlier days, kind of like the Wild West. Everybody was just kind of throwing their hat into the ring and seeing what they could do, throwing their wares into the into the mix and and going wherever the wind blew them. And it's it's been fun. Um, But now, like you said, there's a lot of advertisers jumping on board. There's a lot of big big names that are jumping into the pool. I, you know, I, I like the homegrown stuff. I like the organic stuff just because I think those people come are, I think those people are driven into podcasting because they don't have any recourse. They want to tell stories. They need to tell stories. They have stories to tell. Um, but now you, I think we're getting into an era where because there is money to be made, you're having people come that may not be so interested in telling a story. Maybe there's a, there's more of a financial uh, incentive to doing it and whatnot, but I mean, I I guess that's all fine too, but um, it's just interesting to be part of it now because it is growing and it's, it's changed so much from when we just, you know, you've been in it much longer than we have, but you know, we jumped in in 2015. It was just, Oh, this guy's got a podcast. There were no, nobody was really talking about metrics or anything. There was no technical jargon to, to speak of. It was just like, oh, I have a podcast. I write about X and, you know, people write in and we talk to them on this page over here. And that was it. And that was all. And now it's it's so much more than that, which I guess is both good and bad. But uh, it's, it's definitely been a little bit of a journey. Mm. Yeah. I'd still like to see... Um... As you uh, may know, we have a we turned um, the family man into uh, we adapted it to a novel, The Red Sun, and um, I'd like to see us uh, go more in that direction um, while continuing the podcasting, just because it's a similar medium, you know, and it allows for that emotional connection with the story and the characters and everything. And we've always had that on the back burner. It's, and the cool thing is we already have the content, you know, it's already written down and there's quite a bit, as we learned the hard way, there's quite a bit to novel adaptation, um, namely uh, upload of editing um, because they are two different mediums, you know, the visual versus the audio. But um I thought that would be another way we could uh, connect with uh, like-minded audience members who perhaps aren't necessarily into podcasting so much. Mm-hmm. Well, we definitely got content. I mean, I think we're we're texting Kelly every other day. Hey, we have this character in this new series that's coming out. Would you be interested in voice? Yeah, I just I just literally texted her about the new the new show that uh, Mark and I were discussing that I'm that I'm going to be writing as the. Uh, is the other show on Meltopia that's going to be replacing Red Mother's during Red Mother's hiatus? But yeah, we're 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 thinking about new um, new styles of of horror we want to kind of get into and, and explore. So we've we've got one that's cooking. I don't know where it's going to go yet. It's still kind of up in limbo. But um, yeah, we've been Mark's been talking about um, getting a little more away from 
for lack of a better term, we just call it non-Maltopian horror. Do you have, uh, David, do you have any particular favorite subgenres, either to write or voice or read or? That is a good question. Um, Subgenres, you know, horror is obviously horror is my field. So um, I've I've always leaned towards I kind of like the supernatural, the paranormal stuff. I'm happiest with just a good ghost story. Um, Kelly, I'm sure you'll talk, uh, with the guys about a movie we, we saw the other night and, uh, yeah. And it's just kind of a good old fashioned haunted house story. Actually, we've seen two in the last uh, few days that, mm-hmm. that have that haunting kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I like that. The, um, the aspect of, of the more plausible horror stories where you got stalkers or serial killers or things like that. That's, I, I, for me, that's a little too close to reality. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. you see that on the news too much. So yeah, I, I like, uh, I like ghosties and, and things that go bump in the attic, that kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. That's kind of where we are for the most part. I think we supernatural or cosmic horror as they, mm-hmm. they call it. And, that sort of thing. Like my, like my wife's big into uh, slashers. So she's, she's very much like stalkers or, or, you know, just monsters that walk or just people or whatever they are, like Michael Myers types of, of, of entities walking around, just slashing people up. But that's her thing. But I, I, I her and I are always arguing about that. <laughs> that stuff's a, a lot like um, true crime and true crime. She loves true crime. Yeah. So huge. Everybody loves true crime. Yeah, no. and it it reminds me of what Mark said once about his art, and how he he preferred drawing monsters as opposed to like hyper realistic bowls of fruit, because it's like <laughs> we were at we were at Panera Bread, in fact, and on the back wall above us, there was just some innocuous photo of a ca- or a painting of a cafe and people sitting down. It's like look at that. We're we're living that right now. Why put it in a piece of art? It doesn't make any sense. I want art to show me something that can't be found in reality. And that's why he really liked exploring um, monsters in his artwork. I always have uh, line between like the 70s and the 80s. Like the 70s is more characteristic of ghost stories, ghost stories of the kind, you know, the Victorian style ghost stories and things like that, which I am a huge fan of. If I were to live anywhere in terms of my my interests as they apply to horror, it would be the 70s solidly and maybe even to the 60s a little bit. Um, the 80s I love, but I think they're much more into body horror, or at least it was like the beginning of, of body horror, which I love. I mean, some of my favorite horror franchises and whatnot came about during the 80s, but I, I think that what you said, David, really resonates with me because I just love atmospheric horror. And, and the atmosphere is, to me, the most important part of horror. And I think that's a big uh, distinction between those individuals that call themselves horror fans. I think there's a, a group that really enjoys a visceral kind of horror telling or a, a ghost story or just a horror vision, vision of horror. And then there's those of us, I think, that just kind of love the atmosphere. Um which I think they kind of had to do back in the day for lack of special effects. You had to you had to create an atmosphere in lieu of anything that you could convincingly put out there as your paranormal object of interest. So it was kind of like only oh, we, we kind of have to do this. Yeah. And um, then, of course, then there are movies that are just perfect, like um, that, I think, just kind of due to the horror genre um, that 
or do something to the horror genre that just kind of recreates it in a new and different way and just you know, like the thing or something like that john carpenter's the thing um which is just perfect in the atmosphere and then you've got practical effects and it's just kind of a blending of the two in a way that you don't you know you very rarely get to see but that's that's kind of where i'm at is is um just just horror that is is very uh unseen but but present and um right around the corner and it's built into the breeze and so on it's it's just it's very it's very it's visceral but it's also ephemeral and i, and I have always loved that um like some of my favorite uh movie, like burnt offerings or you know those older movies um that are just to me people laugh at them now i i tell like my friends what my favorite movies are i'm like oh have you seen burnt offerings or have you seen don't be afraid of the dark the original not the remake and they're like still still pisses me off rotten tomatoes assessment of burnt offerings it's bullshit i i feel that it's been it's been slighted burnt offerings is an excellent horror film but it it, it doesn't see, have it showed up on a couple of really big lists where they were talking about movies yeah. that should be remade because they were so, the ideas were so solid and there were certain limitations in filmmaking at the time that they should well, be remade. Well, there's I'm so many, there's so many other movies that that took the idea from uh, burnt offerings. Like Rose oh. Red was basically the yeah, idea burnt. of 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 burnt offerings. Um, there's several other movies and stories that that kind of took the concept of this kind of living house that eats the soul and rebuilds itself and. Like, and like has, has been perpetuated. I, I, I think I think Kelly, you mentioned the car. I love the car. Yeah. You're going to redo a movie that you could do justice to. The car is that movie. We, I, I would love to see a modern re reimagining of. We could do some fantastic things with that movie. Yeah, that's one of the you best. The toy, there. didn't I? There was a toy. Yeah, I know. I'm still pissed off that there was a toy. I didn't know about it. <laughs> like, it's a weird movie to have a toy. Of. Well, it's a little, <laughs> like, like yeah, it's a little dark, right? It like, yeah, it's just, like, oh, yeah. It's like I mean, there was this, like, like the beginning scene is two kids getting like scraped off the road. <laughs> it's not <laughs> like it's something you're probably going to want to introduce. You. Mommy, what is this toy based on? Well, it's a demonically possessed car that just for no good reason runs around and kills people. Well, and it says, it says ages four to six. So uh, <laughs> you know, it's, like... <laughs> it's fine with us. It's, it's, it's a perfectly acceptable movie for, for children. I feel, like, I feel like back then, though, we were allowed to. Like like kids were allowed to watch like like my mom my mom's the one who introduced us to horror like I watched the car gargoyles yeah. uh, burnt off when I was like seven like years old I remember my mom sitting me down and watching them and I'd be like oh these are awesome these are cool but like now I just uh, actually showed burnt offerings to my niece who was uh, I, I was introducing her I'm like this is gonna be the summer horror films for you. So we sat down, we watched Burn Offerings, and it, it scared the ever-loving shit out of her. Like, I didn't think it yeah. would. I was I was like, it's not really that scary of a movie, but she was petrified by the uh, the, the the hearse, the guy who drives the hearse. And uh, and, at, and at the end, Mrs. Alice, uh, I can't remember her. What's what's her name, Mark? Mrs. Allardyce. Mrs. Allardyce. But, uh, but, um, but when we were kids... I don't remember that. Yeah, we... We always watched them like they, they were they were just like a part of our lives. That's just the typical thing we would watch. But mm. now, David, do you have a do you have a favorite seventies flick or or horror movie in general? Uh, I'll if I can add one year, I'll go back to nineteen eighty uh -huh. and uh, the movie called The Changeling. Now, uh -huh. there, there, there's a couple of Changeling titled horror uh, no, movies, but uh, nineteen eighty, The Changeling, starring George, George C. Scott. Scott. Chris, uh, Trish Vandeveer. Um, yeah, just the, the, the quintessential haunted house movie. 
uh, filmed just north of Toronto, so that makes it even better. Oh, awesome. and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just it's it's perfect. There's not, uh, I would say, technically, there's not a drop of blood. You see a tiny bit of blood, but yeah, it's 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 just horror and tension and atmosphere, all of those things you were saying, and it uh, it creeps me out. And that's another one that, like you said about burnt offerings, I hear people talk about. Oh, I watched the Changeling. It was so boring, and it's like, yeah. no. <laughs> I hate when I get that. It's so boring. Nothing happens. Nothing. Yeah. I'm like, it's not. It's, it's atmospheric. You you are not receptive to atmosphere. If you cannot watch the Changeling and not get something out of that, mm-hmm. there's something wrong with you. And, and that, yeah. I, I remember when we found like, the Changeling. We, we, we have something we, called the Cottage Favorites. We go to our cottage and we watch all these '70s flicks, and the Changeling is always in the top five. Yeah. Um, we we constantly crib lines from that that movie to one another, and just kind of talk and Changeling code. It, that's an What's incredible. This? Plus, it's got George C. Scott. Who I yeah, love. Yeah. You can't go wrong with George C. Scott. Yeah, uh, he was. He was. Um, I remember when we first found that movie. We followed. We we were uh, a long time ago, 20, 20 some thirty some years ago. We were in a Walmart, and we were looking for new horror movies. And there was just a bin full of you know how they just throw a bunch of movies in yeah. a bin. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, what's this? It's Changeling. And I'm like, it looks good. And Mark's like, oh, I've heard of that movie. I've just never had the opportunity to see it. And I go, well, it's got George C. Scott. So he's like, oh, we got to get it. So we brought it home and it instantly became a favorite. I'm like, this fucking movie's awesome. Like, yeah, my mother, like, how did we not see enjoys this? the movie, which is saying something. My mother will only watch certain movies, but she she actually watches The Changeling. She, when my father was alive, her and he would get into all of these arguments about whether or not the end scene actually happened. If he was actually watching, um, what's his name, Walk Up the Stairs. Uh, yeah. Like my father could never figure out that ending and he was constantly perplexed by it. And my mother felt so vindicated that she understood and he didn't and could always. <laughs> She's like, You don't get it, Bucky. He's he's there, he's seen, he's getting a vision, just like he got the vision of the, the drowning child. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even think that's really happening. I'm like, all right, well, so she <laughs> She enjoys that movie for only uh, the ability to hold the understanding of the the concluding moments over his head. <laughs> That's great. And it's it's cool too. I, I never I never knew when I saw that movie that years later there would be a No Sleep podcast connection to that movie because one of our beloved voice actors who's been with us for years, Peter Lewis, is actually the grandson of George C. Scott. So oh, wow. that's a cool connection. Wow. Right? Wow, that is awesome. That's yeah, an awesome that's lineage. Mm-hmm. He's one of my favorite actors. I love him. Yeah, he's great. He was uh he he really uh very underrated film, which always irritates me, is uh because the Exorcist, the ex the original Exorcist is great. Exorcist two, not so great. But the Exorcist three never gets its recognition. And I love yeah, yeah. the Exorcist three. I, I like it almost as much, if not more, than the original Exorcist. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with George C. Scott's performance, and uh, well, the other guy who's who doesn't get a lot of credit, who's an excellent actor, actually is. Uh, uh, he played Worm Tongue. Yeah, he's, I can't think of his name. He also plays Chuck, Chuck but he's yeah, but he's well, an excellent. George C. Scott's actor. wife, Trish. Um, I can't think of her full name now. Um, but they met on set, I think, of the Changeling, and she's also in a very good movie, which I love. Which. Um, I tried to get my my mother to watch, and I tried to get my sister. Neither one of them is the hearse. I don't know if anybody's watched that. Oh, that's great! That, and it's an awesome movie. Yeah. yeah. 
That thing scared the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, of all, I go to these websites where they talk about all these cherished old, and it's never on there. I'm like, how come the hearse doesn't get its its proper recognition? Yeah. Because that's just an excellent movie. Yeah. I think it goes right up there with like the car and and the changeling and all the rest of them. It's it's built on atmosphere. It's I feel, it, I feel when it comes to car horror, Christine gets gets the yeah. The, I think it, I like Christine, but I feel like. The hogs of the, the limelight. I feel like the car definitely is equal to, if not better than Christine, at least in my opinion. And uh, well, you got Maximum Overdrive too, which is which really isn't a car movie per se, but it's Stephen King doesn't even like that movie. I guess he said yeah, he, he, he wrote it while he was uh, coked out of his mind. He said, "Yeah, yeah, makes sense." Because, I mean, I, he's one of my favorite authors, and I the story itself is phenomenal. But yeah, the movie adaptation was just not good. Yeah, I just, said some misses there with the yeah. movie adaptations but that's barely his fault but he always ends up hating the movies that i love the most and as cliche as it is for me to love the shining the shining is like to me yeah. art and then there's salem's lot the made for tv movie which mm. apparently he also despises oh good is yeah that's that was the movie that the first movie i watched that actually scared the hell mm -hmm. out of that one scene i think everybody relates to is that little kid little creepy kid scratching on the window <laughs> yep yeah. yep Mom Bad. will watch it to this day. Mom hate. Mom hates the scene where the not the, the the vampire goes through the window, and then rises up from the kitchen, kills the two yeah. parents. She's because my mom my mom's very religious, so she doesn't like watching anything that has to do with the devil or anything like that. And uh, she just scared shitless of that that, <laughs> that, that scene. I tricked her into watching Rosemary's Baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, how did that go <laughs> well she didn't even know what it was like i'm watching it like we've been trying for years to get her to watch rosemary's baby and we've told her a number of it's not really scary it's more like it's almost more of a thriller than it is horror i mean there's a lot of horror stuff mm -hmm. there's a lot of props of of horror in there but it's more about the upper class and you know, all these types of things going on and it just isn't really scary and she's like no 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 it's got the devil in it i'm not watching it so i just turned it on i didn't tell her what it was <laughs> nice. and she's like watching it and she's like what is this i'm like oh i think it's called like the canary or something like that I, i'm not really <laughs> sure and she's like oh and then she keeps watching and finally she figures it out she's oh this is rosemary's baby isn't it i'm like yeah it is and she's like, i don't want to watch this i'm not watching this i'm like it's not scary you watched it up to this point nothing has happened this plus another 20 minutes is the movie it's not there's nothing that's yeah. going to jump out at you but she <laughs> It's not a horrifying movie. It's just a movie where you feel really, really, really bad for poor Rosemary, who's just yeah. the nicest human being conceivable, surrounded by the worst scumbags you can think of, like especially her husband, who's just this yeah. greasy, scummy, worst human being in the world. He and was there's he just was poor very, Rosemary. He was very good in um, what was that movie? Um, uh it's not it's a doubt it's it's an incubus the incubus he's he's in that movie another horror film and uh he's <laughs> it's an interesting movie because he's called upon a number of times to comment on how much reproductive fluid was found in victims and, uh, <laughs> it was a very 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 interesting kind of a movie to get into because when you you know what an incubus is you kind of know what the incubus does and they get into kind of the visceral details and it was like a 70s film and it's a little it isn't something i'd watch with my mother Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Be uncomfortable. But uh, it was well, like David, you are nearing your um, top priority <laughs> mission. I want to uh, make sure you have enough time to uh, take care of it. Uh, I did have a parting question. Um, 
this is uh, kind of a, a, a dig at Mark as well regarding the gaming thing, but um, I've always been kind of um, uh, fascinated by the, the the overlap there to whatever degree it overlaps between the the gaming audience and like the audio drama audience and the, the horror audience. Um, and um, between podcasting and YouTube, there's all kinds of gaming centric, you know, shows out there. Mm. And um, do you see any overlap between, and I don't even, Mark and Steve had talked about it before when we were working on uh, Shepherd of Wolves, kind of a back burner project that takes the family man story and puts it on a board game and you can play serial killers and stuff. But they were talking about, um, you know, the, the current kind of number of, of horror games out there. And there's, you know, a lot of it is regular role-playing D&D and stuff, but then there's like werewolf and vampire and stuff like that. And we always kind of wondered about the, um, just kind of the, the audience potential surrounding like a horror game themed uh, podcast. But do you think, and feel free to load your answer to make Mark feel bad, do you think it would be a good idea for us to expand into maybe the occasional every once in a while uh, horror role-playing episode uh, GM'd by Mark uh, likely set in the Maltopia world with Maltopia, you know, all the Maltopia villains and serial killers. And do you think uh, that would be a good idea for us, a good direction? Um, uh, nerds. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I, I I have not delved into that area, like role-playing games and D&D and all that kind of stuff. It's It's been this big black hole in my my cultural life. But yeah, I, I mean, how could you not want to create that kind of environment? And and I, I think horror, especially when it comes to role playing games and play, and kind of the the games where people can immerse themselves and and feel that they are playing it or controlling the uh, the path of the game and putting themselves in the game. It's such a great as you put it. There's this great overlap there. So you're the the idea, of course, that you're presenting them a great story, a very engaging, you know, story that they that they get into. And then if you allow people to, like I say, to to be a part of it, to play, to whether they're rolling some dice or whatever, to say, okay, now we're gonna go down this hallway or into this room or however it manifests, it's you're you're just there's just that extra layer of engagement and involvement. And so absolutely, yeah, I think that that's uh it's awesome. I know Kelly's mentioned that you guys have been working on that kind of thing. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's perfect. And I know like through, throughout the years, the last few years, we've been toying with the idea. We've tried to sort of cobble together some sort of video game concepts that could be, you know, playable and that where it's still very much flavored as the no sleep podcast, but there's a playability aspect to it. So yeah. we're going to keep going down that road and see where we can get to, but yeah, awesome. I, I think these days, especially people are as much as we talk about, they love audio horror and, and audio fiction um, because of the immersiveness of it. But I think if you add another layer, like you mentioned, then that's that's we'll a, let them actually embody the characters they yeah. love reading yeah. about and listening about. 
I'm you going to hear a lot of, you remember what David said, right? And I'm going to yeah. be. <laughs> you, you heard it, Mark. We can't, you well, like can't said, refute my that. Biggest, my biggest issue was the guys in the room. I mean, we've been, we were sitting there talking to him, trying to articulate. Dude, what our back in the day, in our 20s, you would GM, you didn't care if who was in people? the room. There would be 20 people oh, in the yeah, room, well, all of us popped up on coffee and cigarettes <laughs> out of our minds, four in the morning, 20 hour gaming session. People would pay and you. You don't care. even care because you're knee deep into this marathon story. You'd... Since, I've, since I've stepped into my 50s, I've, I've developed a sort of self-awareness that is non-conducive to gaming but that doesn't say, that doesn't say that i wouldn't do it it's just that in this particular scenario the guy like we couldn't have been more explicit with this guy like look you can go outside and just you know smoke a cigarette whatever you want to do you don't have to Dude, be in it perfectly he's right. got 10 grand worth of equipment and he's got 10 grand worth of equipment you guys room. have like the greatest experience i'm like oh, okay that's fine i'm gonna be you know doing goofy voices and i get very doesn't angry, care though. it's kind of like you know at $75 an hour, he doesn't care. I promise you. He doesn't. Well, Mark, if it makes you feel any better, I, I, I refuse to record when David's sitting here at this desk because the booth is behind me. And I'm like, yes. I, I, yeah, I won't do it. <laughs> because yeah. I'm like, he hears me. I, I, I'm working through really stupid voices sometimes, right? And I'm like, okay, I don't want anybody listening to me while I'm trying to figure out the tone I'm trying to get, right? So, sorry, Walker. Well, that's so weird. It. I embarrassed myself the other day. I'm driving. I practice almost all my voices in the car. So I'm driving around and I I always go to a cemetery or something because I just, we have a nice cemetery here. It's almost like a park and there's nobody there. So I just kind of park there, hang out and I roll the windows down and I forgot <laughs> to roll the windows up. So I'm driving around and I'm having like this three-way conversation with these three characters. And I'm noticing that these people over on the sidewalk are staring at me. <laughs> And just shaking their heads. I'm like, what are they looking? What's their problem? And then I, as I'm looking and I'm realizing, oh, there's nothing between me and, and them. My window is open. They heard every dumb thing that I just said. And the conversation was, I, I talk about anything. I was talking about one of them. Like it was a voice I was doing about ordering the, the, the coffee I was going to get at Dunkin' Donuts. And they were arguing with me as to what particular flavor I should get. And it was going back and forth. And that's how I was developing the voice. And they're looking at me. And I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. Um, so then I, I just kind of reached out and, and touched the front of the dash, hoping that they assumed that I was talking to somebody. Exactly. And then rolled my window up. <laughs> that's why that's why you walk around with one of these, Mark. <laughs> then you're just you're talking to somebody. You're not even here. You're you're talking to whoever's on the other end. It, it would be a hard sell, though, for them to actually think he was talking to somebody about. I don't know what nonsense <laughs> topic I was caught in as I was trying to articulate these two points or three points of view as I was going through it in my car. But I'm sure they walked away with a healthy sense of that guy's nuts. There's something there's something wrong with him. <laughs> he sounded like he sounded like a demonic orc ordering coffee <laughs> for some reason. That's awesome. well, I, was, I wanted to. There was a role that um, I, I was going to test i don't know i don't know what it was somebody had sent us a roll or a line or something and it was like a southern baptist minister or something like that so i was talking like this and then, you know and i was doing all the soaring <laughs> off for a reason and it was loud and so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure in the collective unconscious one of the profiles for me is nut this guy <laughs> associated with nut well, you see, that's why it's a great idea to go and do all that in a cemetery, because if people hear you, if you if you notice someone listening to you, then you just say, OK, bye, grandma. And you drive off like you're you were talking to your dead grandmother. There. Exactly. 
<laughs> As it is, the, the the cemetery has become a much changed environment. I was um, I was I was in there not the other what was it the other day or two days ago, and I was talking to the guy that runs. I've been going there for ten years ever since my son was born. I've been going there to walk him around. He's huge, so I just put him in the stroller and I, we just walk around. It's very picturesque. And uh, for the very first time, I actually encountered the caretaker of the place, and he knew who I was because apparently his binoculars have been watching me for ten years. Knows that I come there all the time. And uh, he's like, yeah, uh, this is like a real popular uh, hookup place. I always make sure that you're not one of them. You know, they're always coming from the <laughs> hospital. There's a hospital nearby. And he's like, they're usually workers from the hospital trying to do their thing over there in the corner. He goes, I'm always relieved to see it's, it's you, though. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know that kind of thing was going on. But, yeah, it's 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 definitely um, one of the places I go to, to to practice voices, too, because there's never, generally speaking, there's not too many people there. Just goose, geese. Jesus, I used the wrong term. Um, but uh gooses what's that gooses gooses <laughs> as my son likes to say he um he's he's also a big fan of the cemetery whenever we go it's, it's actually one of the reasons i think they're putting up signs now because i bring him out there and there's these huge streams and a lot of times i'll get a chance to write or something while he's out looking for frogs so i'll open the doors and just let him out and he just kind of goes down on the banks and looks for frogs and crayfish and, and whatever and i'll get to write or do whatever i need to do but now they put up signs so i'm beginning to think maybe my my welcome is is uh is no longer a thing and i and they they've noticed i've been doing this so i don't know i may have to find mm -hmm. a new cemetery sounds like the start of a story like your son disappears by the creek for hours and he comes back possessed by the well cemeteries are, are uh, great writers hack um i go there specifically because like i want names of people and i want names of places so yeah i go there it's nice i drive around i bring my notebook and i'll find some crazy last name or an interesting sounding last name and sketch it down and there's my new like crickmeyer and blackledge all those came from the cemetery <laughs> Mm. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, like every time <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying to think of names, I'm like, okay, Rachel Smith. <laughs> I got, <laughs> yeah, I got to start going to cemeteries for names. <laughs> Wait, his name is Sam. I've used Sam like six times. It's like, no. You got to mix it up. There's always the good old standbys like Charlie and Oliver and, and those kinds of names. They just kind of convey a sense of this guy's a good dude. He's a good dude. He's a pure dude. He's a friendly dude. And he's just he's just waiting to have bad things happen to him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I've always I've always been a, a big I, not a creepy cemetery guy, just a guy who likes very picturesque cemeteries. Yeah. Noted. That's, that's that's where that's where Max pretty much there were two cemeteries we would walk through. That was the bigger of the two of them. But that was that was my day for many years. Get up, get him ready to go, put him in the stroller, walk the cemetery. <laughs> I can hear him now. I grew up in the cemetery with my dad. You know, there there was a practice. I, I don't I want to say it was the Germans during World War Two, but they used to consummate. Uh, in the cemetery, because their belief was the soldier, the dead, the, the soldiers that were buried there would combine with the nascent or emergent souls of the children being, well, they weren't being born there, but they were being consummated there, that that was one of the ways that they tried to empower their their stock. Oh, yeah, I read something about that. Absorb yeah, the soul of the dead by, by copulating in a, in a cemetery. So that's not how he happened, by the way. That's, that, that, is, that is... Dark. Yeah, that's oh fascinating. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they, yeah. They, had a, 
Yeah. That yeah. was one of the things. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I don't like Nazis. Yeah. yeah. They're, not, they're not good people. Just, Nazis aren't very good people. No, that's, that's kind of one of the things you just have to say no to. You go out in that field and copulate. What is it? It's a cemetery. Just go in there at night and do it. And hopefully, you know, the spirits will jump in. I got to say no to that. I got to say that's probably yeah. not a good idea for me. But yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> I do love, however, all the um, sci fi and horror that, you know, the setting is like, okay, it's back in Nazi times and they were doing some crazy science. And then you came up with all these, all sorts of different monsters and stuff. Yeah. But it, it's like, I never get tired of that. It's the perfect premise. Well, who would create such crazy creatures or who's Nazis crazy enough <laughs> yeah. to do some, try something like that? Oh, just set it in 1940s, 1930s. They're Nazis. Oh, of they're, course. <laughs> they, they've, they've got the occult science budget of like several countries. They're trying everything over there. Just go for it. Yeah. I Man, love that. That was actually, you know, speaking of, uh, Maltopia, that's where the Melengen came from. That was, yeah. I, I yeah, bought that's a true. while ago called the, uh, you know, I never come up with proper nouns whenever I want to. But it was it was interesting because they were talking about all the various things these nut jobs were coming up with to try and advance their agenda. And they were doing everything from, you know, trying to do genetic engineering to, you know, what I later termed, in, you know, within the Maltscape as bioetheric things and you know trying to combine the body and this all these kinds of very crazy things and um there was one particular machine that they supposedly designed that has been the subject of all kinds of conspiracy theories i don't know if it has any one specific name or it's a number of it's been called a number of different things but some some device that defied gravity or whatnot and has come to be mislabeled as ufos and that's actually what the the source of alien ships are it's the, the the operationalizing of this technology and so on so it's nazis are fertile ground whenever you want to come up with something that's extraordinarily bad and weird yeah and um you know that's that's kind of like your go-to epoch or whatever mm. but there's something called the die glock that might that be about yeah uh, i don't I, all i remember is it was they were supposedly creating some kind of an anti-gravity engine of some kind and that they had successfully created some kind of flying saucer yeah um, late, later popularized by military journalist and author nick cook who associated it with nazi occultism anti-gravity and free energy suppression research zero point mm. energy that, that's that's what it was and it was supposed to have been the object that fell from the sky in kecksburg which is a famous ufo um story case where something came down supposedly the you know the united states military went and seized it then denied that they were there um a lot of people said oh it was this object that had a nazi insignia on it which caused people to believe it was this device they had created and the united states had either tried to use and failed and it fell to the ground or some clandestine group of nazis i guess had put it up there and it, it crashed i i would probably not bet on that last one but <laughs> <laughs> they, with a lot of evidence that they were there grabbed it and left but who knows sounds like a, just a just a cover for all that cemetery sex they were having exactly that's, true. that's <laughs> it yeah. you gotta throw something crazier at them to what are you guys doing in, these, in this here cemetery uh, we're Nazi technology UFOs oh. man okay we're, well, we're definitely not having sex yeah, that's for sure, sure. <laughs> 
but yeah it was it was uh that that was kind of my my issue when i was first doing the Melengen, the damnation machine was i don't like talking about nazis i don't like getting into them you know for the purposes of saying anything interesting about them but i was like this is really the one place where i think if the Melengen were a thing if it were designed and allowed to be um amorally advanced you know with with no ethics in mind it would definitely be here it would definitely be by these people um so that's that's kind of and i silenced this three times and apparently it doesn't I, i'm bad with technology on my wrist as i am in front of me um but yeah it was it was kind of where that came from um but it's moved past. I like how it was was it didn't it exchange hands like three different times like it, the U.S. It had a, it for a decade or two, and then it got the, Ger the Germans find it pre World War One, I, I believe, in the mythology, yeah. and then they experiment with it. And then there's Elvikstein. There's the Elvikstein lineage, which happens pre World War Two, and then the World War Two. They, they they start. There's a weird book episode yeah, it, about it. it, it, where, where, it, it basically mirrors the story I was just talking about. Some German Nazi machine that was designed as like a zero point energy. Well, they, they find it. They they find they, they it, and find then they it. and then they they, they kind of they don't design it. They find it, and then yeah, they, they start experimenting it. with it. And then in, they, in the original story, whatever it happens to be, the conspiracy <laughs> theory, whatever it's it's actually supposed to be something they themselves designed. Whereas in my story, they they just kind of found it. Well, it but, seems like the kind of thing the Nazis would do is pass it off as their own. Yeah, this is totally ours. Yeah, we we made it. We made it in our cemetery sex session. I mean, yeah, lying's kind of the least of their. <laughs> at least of their transgression. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't lie about that. If you read about their genetic ex their genetic experiments, it, it's it's like they would put people in water for prolonged periods of time, expecting them to like suffer these pronounced bouts of evolution because they'd been exposed to water for such a ridiculous amount of time. Like they would eventually, I guess, the going theory was they would go eventually would produce some kind of adaptation on the spot, you know, through Lamarckianism. Yeah, just you know, just, wasn't wasn't the Blitzkrieg based on like tons of meth, right? Meth. Like all the soldiers were on meth. That's how they were able to cross great distances and just just have a wave of attacks across Europe. And it was all methamphetamine. And whenever you I hear you talk about these crazy experiments, I'm I immediately get well. Clearly, I just picture a bunch of lab coats high on math and they're like you know what we're gonna do today and they just come up with the craziest shit ever doesn't make any sense Jesus. well that's why I, I always i always wonder how kelly feels when i give her like these long technical expositions about like made-up technology i'm like I, I wonder if she's like <laughs> is he crazy what is he talking about in these in these instances like i'll go on about like bio theory and whatnot I, can, I love I can, it. I eat it up. <laughs> I'm a total nerd. So I'm just like, wow, this is amazing, man. Like, I, I, yeah, I love it. I just, I always have to find some way of like dignifying it with like technical terms because <laughs> it's like, I don't know what to call this, but I'm going to go on this long, you know, written foray into technical jargon to make it, you know, to dignify it so that it sounds something suitably technological. And then, <laughs> well, you're downplaying you know, you're, it now like, because you kind of imagine your thoughts like, what the fuck is this supposed to mean? <laughs> You're downplaying it now because to me, that's some of the most amazing description I've ever read, especially when you meld biology with like paranormal supernatural stuff with like mechanical. Yeah. Like, that's, been, that's been kind in, of a fun thing in, in ways that I've, I've never read before. Mark knows a lot about uh, uh, 
quantum physics and I come from a background in neuroscience. So we, we, we actually try to put like factual things in there, usually like with the, uh, with the neopsychotics and the exopaths and stuff, like I, I usually try to come up with an actual neurological profile that would be, obviously it, it wouldn't work. It's not reality, but I try to give it some sort of physiological founding that's actually established in the scientific community. And, it's like uh, the, that the sci-fi aspects are like hard sci-fi. I remember, Mark, you were talking once about that, um, the soul engine or something where you took actual souls and the souls were like fuel for something. Oh, I, I forget, but oh, it was no more uh, in sci-fi. Transmigration drive. I said, well, all souls intrinsically move towards somewhere. So if you could contain it and then harness the kinetic energy it would produce by moving towards that direction, and you could potentially have an engine of some kind. So I kind of went into this diatribe about how this thing would work. And and I love doing it. But like I said, when people hear it, I'm always trying to imagine like, is this guy nuts? Is he making this shit off? Is this supposed to make any kind of sense? Because it just sounds I'm like with Kelly. Know. I'm just like we've gotten Holy people shit, that's amazing. Why is that not a movie? We've what? gotten people what are we we've talking got, about here. We've convinced several people that some of it was real. Uh, the Tower <laughs> of Teeth. It. The Tower of Teeth specifically got a lot of people. They were like Holy shit! Is that real? Is that real? Yeah, like, I, I thought there was an a, actual. We got, a, we got a lot of people who were like, "I was looking up all over the goddamn place. I couldn't find them." That's yeah, I awesome. I just wrote it in an academic way that made it sound like it was mm -hmm. a it was a real. That was a weird book, book right? And that's a. Yeah, it was a weird book. That was my first one. I was because the whole point of the weird book and those articles was to write it from an academic point of view, and I was just. You know, in grad school, I was just used to have, to writing that way. So I was like, well, it's fun to do in fiction. So I'm just going to write these academic articles as if they're real. And the Tower of Teeth was the uh, the one I came up with, you know, the, the, the typical skeptical perspective of the fusion of enamel. And I, you know, I did a lot of research on teeth and enamel and all that stuff. And, you know, people bought it. I didn't even mean for it to be construed that way. I assume people thought it was bullshit because I just giant Tower of Teeth and they you something you'd know about but yeah and especially know. in there you make a point of saying uh all of the teeth are not human or animal yeah. like there's brand new right. teeth in this thing we don't know where they're from and people are like yeah where is it? i gotta see this place yeah I mean, it would be awesome if it was real. It'd be horrifying if it was real but yeah, it's always fun making that kind of stuff up. And like I said, when I hand it over to Kelly to read, I'm always wondering what her thoughts are on the topic. Like, is this what's wrong with him? Like, what is what is this? No. Like, this I, I, I eat it up. I love it. I sit there. And I, I always read through once before I even start even thinking about how I'm going to voice it. And I, that's, that's the part I love. It's like because I'm I'm what? in it in it every week. I don't like to know anything ahead of time, right? So then all this new stuff comes. Like, what the hell is this? And I go back, I reread it, and I, I it's it's awesome. Honestly, I think your writing's fantastic, and it's well, it's yeah, and it's it's just it's it's not real, but it's so realistic, and so it's easy. Well, it was yeah, it's easy for me to get into it and believe this is where we're rolling with it because it's written so well. So I never think it's crazy. <laughs> I love it. Well, I was going to give you a disclaimer because I didn't know if you wanted to read these parts. Like the, the one group of creatures that I do write that I kind of like to experiment with is the pain eaters, you know, the scream eaters. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a scene where Romy was like articulating and describing what she was seeing, which was by no means a pretty <laughs> picture. And it was, very, it was pretty gross. <laughs> Loved I was like, going to send you a note. Like, if you don't want to read this, I totally understand. I'll rewrite this. This is really intense. And, and it's not, I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to, you know, 
be associated with this and doesn't want to be because it's pretty nasty. Um, but yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll let you know if we ever get there. But so far, I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know where my limit is actually, which makes it disturbs me a little bit. But um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like sounds like a challenge, Mark. The pain engineering stuff is, is especially cruel. Well, that's the thing is like we, we, you know when when people uh, you know. There are certain people out there who are like, ah, oh, you're being an edge lord. It's like, no, we're, we're creating creatures that we think realistically this is what if there are creatures that literally subsist off pain and screams, what kind of things would they do to harness yep. that? And you know, you look at how human, how industrious humans are, and what we do to harvest our resources and what we did, and, and the terrible things we do. Like, I mean, if you really think about what we do to animals, yeah, from a, you know, outside of our perspective, I mean, we, we we collect them in places, in horrible places. We prod them. We do terrible things to them. And, and you know, we 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 claim it's humane. We're like, well, it's humane, but is is it really? I mean, is it, so so it's like if you if you really look at what we're doing, it's the screamators are really doing the same thing. They just they're, they're yeah. doing it to us, and we don't like that because we're us. And but you know, at the same time, I'm sure the cow doesn't appreciate or the pig doesn't appreciate what we do to them. So. Right. You know, there's this kind of, uh, you know, we try to, Mark tries to design these things in, in a kind of a realistic way. They, they're evil to us because they're doing it to us. But for them, it's just, well. It's almost like, it's almost mean. like if, if humans had to subsist, or even if we preferred to subsist on screams and pain, we'd be doing the same damn thing. And we'd be justifying it just like the characters in the stories do. Yeah, I think one, one thing it's, of note it's quite too. realistic in that in yeah that way. well one thing i think it, it's done very well is it i think everything's always well balanced right we'll have like a whole scene right like that where i'm describing this absolutely horrific situation but then we don't stay there for too long you know what i mean and not every episode's like that either i think if it was like non-stop non-stop then we get into like what i'm always complaining about um i hate how movies turned into torture porn over a while after oh, over yeah. time and yeah. i like walking dead i think i mean there's just things like i don't know that i i can handle some of it but the entire movie I, like hostile i can't handle it just it goes to places yeah. I just, i'm like i'm done it's too much of this i can't do it anymore right but i think mark you're striking a balance that's really perfect it's like that we we usually sucker punch a little bit with something and then we move on to other yeah. areas right and i think it's, that's why it's it not so one well. dimensional no it's not and yeah. it makes sense because it really is it's critical for the story and i think it paints the picture and you have that moment where you're like you're horrified along with her as she's describing this you know and you're, so it, you understand where the, where the characters are with it too so i think it's and i the, think it's very well done yeah i think it's had the effect on the audience the audience finds mm -hmm. the the screamers to be the most reprehensible of, yeah and, and, and honestly it's it's not the one of them uh made a good point it's like you know the scream eaters are one thing. The, the the entities that are indigenous to the bulge of screams are one thing. They feed off of it. That's that's what they do. The real scumbags are the rich people who are aspiring to be the scream eaters. <laughs> Those are the real scumbags because they don't they don't have to eat screams. They're just rich scumbags who just want more than you know these gluttons. Yeah, and they really were reviled by them. I always feel bad for you, Kelly, because because Romy is kind of like the moral compass of the show. She's the one that has the most <laughs> realistic reactions. And whenever I want to kind of give the audience a sense of what they should probably feel, because Romy 
feels yeah. it and then some and is and because of the schizoaffective aspect to her she kind of reflects it in a very intense way so you you're always stuck reading those kinds of pieces <laughs> because i really want to 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 get it home to the yeah. audience this is a really bad thing and that's kind of one of romy's um literary jobs really in a sense because it's, yeah. it's she's the more human of the two of them and you can kind of by contrast get a sense of that too just by getting isaiah's uh take on it but it's usually like yeah i get this is supposed to be bad but i, I don't really feel it so badly right. i wish i did um <laughs> but i don't and then romy comes in and like gives you you know the juice here's what's actually going on here's why it's bad yeah and this is my reaction to it and um yeah. and then on top of that you know she's a layered character so in addition to just having those really intense reactions to things she's also not subject to being extraordinarily frightened by them either she's got a very strong spine so she bounces right back yeah. and then she gives kind of like a retort in a way as to how she feels about what's going on and how she answers that with her own actions and engages it mm -hmm. so she's really vital in that way i just feel bad sometimes because of the awful descriptions <laughs> and like harrowing experiences that i have to put her through to, to properly convey all that to the audience <laughs> It's all good. She and I, we had, we got it. No worries. <laughs> no worries. Well, it, it got to the point where, as I was writing it, like when when uh, Mary showed up, uh, Mary was not planned. Mary was not planned at all. She, I was writing it, and I just thought, this is too much for Romy. I think this is she's, yeah, she's just going to kill people, and I can't have her do that. We, I can't just have her go crazy and just engage in a mass slaughter. There has to be something more to this. There has to be a little bit of a flavor to this. So I was like. <laughs> In keeping with what she has, it would make sense that maybe there could be a little schism going on here and maybe yeah. there could be some kind of a shifting in personality. So that happened. And um, that kind of was the first time where, where Romy literally narrated the horror through watching it, you know, through Mary's eyes. And yet again, it was horrible. And I was like, I hate putting Kelly through this because a lot of times it's because I require you to scream. <laughs> It's like, I don't want to, like, ask somebody to scream. A lot of times my notes are like, if you don't want to scream, don't worry about it. Steven I know, too. I know. I'm like, oh, I got you. We're screaming. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> the hardest thing is being in the room, like, what are these people having my wife do on, in, in there? She's screaming her lungs out. The hardest person to get to scream is Mark. I'm like, you can scream it. Just scream it. So it sounds, you know, so, like, it sounds like Isaiah is really pissed. Well, I'm, I, like, well, I'm, I go back and review the audio and it's clipping. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to stand this far away and try it. And, it, and then it's too weak and I don't know what to do. So I'm like, eh. Yeah, I, Dave, David proud, had to but... teach me some tricks about that one, too, because I, I was blowing it like off the charts. And it was like, <laughs> I'm like, can you even hear I this? Have to like... tap your expertise, Dave, because I have no idea. I cannot find the proper balance between me and that microphone to save my life. <laughs> I i'm constantly clicking against it or i'm actually hitting it or i'm breathing too hard or and we've got the you know the pop filter there i just can't seem to find the appropriate distance i don't know why the holy the holy grail for me is trying to make make something sound like someone's talking outside that's that's the holy grail for me i like i have i i I, just, I can't do it. I, like everything sounds like they're in a goddamn room and i'm just like, I, just, I just want them to sound like they're outside <laughs> i just desperately want that and I, just, I tried just some to, footsteps and some outside, right? Some footsteps <laughs> and some outside. That's all I want. And I just, I looked at YouTube like every video conceivable. No one addresses it. And it's weird to me because you would think, I would think someone would address it, but no one does. And I was like, eh, I guess I'll never have that. Unless I literally record outside. 
Well, that's, that's been the big problem consistently because, you know, one of the biggest criticisms that have been leveled, that's been leveled at the show has been, you know, it's kind of like an audiobook because we have these long narrative kind of, you know, internal dialogue, dialogues or whatever. And I always want to make the audience aware of when the change occurs, you know, when it's an internal monologue versus exchanges between two characters. And so we're always trying to catch that sound that is, all right, these people are talking outside of the head and these people, this guy is talking inside of his head. And we just can't do it. Every time we attempt to, it just sounds like the guy's talking into a tin can or something. It's just like, it well, doesn't... We, we, we do it most of the time. It, it's fine most of the time when they're inside. Then auditions got all sorts of settings for inside, like reverberation. I can... I can do that. It's it's when they're outside that I can. If no, I use about like crickets and out, birds in the background or something. Did you yeah. have a lot of technical expertise with the sound equipment and the computers when you went into it, or was it something you had to learn as you went? Uh, I was doing. Uh, I was in a band in the '90s, and it was right around the time when at home recording like digital audio stations were coming into the the four and so i had a little bit of uh understanding of, of doing that working with waveforms and that type of thing but a lot of the stuff that you're talking about all the technical stuff how do you create a, a room sound how do you create outdoors that kind of thing that's a lot of trial and error and yeah it's tough and like you say um the outdoor stuff is it's tough to do you have to kind of take away any reverb and you kind of narrow the eq band and and i, I like to bring the volume down a little bit that sort of conveys a little bit of yeah. uh distance in between the the speaker and the the audience so yeah but it's not easy yeah it's really tough yeah i gotta work with it more i gotta i gotta experiment a little more with the yeah i never touch the eq because it looks so complex to me but i'm gonna have to start because it's just all these sliders i'm like i don't know what i'm doing now before but, we go david we have kept you way over the <laughs> intended time allotment that you made mention of before we said did, did you need to, to go i don't want to keep you any longer than you need to be kept i mean i i'm fine but uh yeah i mean i can i can let you guys go if if you want to delve into stuff and delve into kelly's stuff uh, I, I don't want to steal her thunder <laughs> No, oh, we're the, we're happy to have you on board uh, for as long as you feel like hanging out. But at the same time, we don't want Kelly's wrath to come down <laughs> upon you should you forget to record <laughs> uh, 90 Day Fiance. So do what you have to to survive and <laughs> please absolutely stick around or take off uh, at your pleasure, whatever you uh, whatever you feel like doing. Yeah, well, I told you I, the beginning of this, we just kind of spitball. We just sure. <laughs> no, it's all it's all good. But I, I think I will. I think I will uh, take my leave, as they say, just so uh, you guys can keep uh, keep talking. And uh, but I do appreciate you helping me, and or I mean having me. You, you've helped me and had me. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you very, very, very much. It was uh, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Absolutely. Welcome. Thanks very much for your time, David. Thanks, David. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank my, you. My pleasure. Enjoy and uh, look forward to doing more stuff with you in the future. Awesome. Wonderful. Awesome. Fantastic. Great. Thank you. All Always right. good to see you, David. Have a nice night. Yes. Take, <laughs> take care, Kelly. Do you guys know that she insists that I refer to as female topia i swear she, she makes you know i've i've always been waiting for that. some i've always been waiting for someone to criticize our show on some level <laughs> on that on some level, who haven't gotten far enough into the series because when we started out we didn't have any females so we like it really like, right. we have to make male characters we don't have any females I've been just waiting for someone to go maletopia more like maletopia and spell it with m-a-l-e I've just been waiting for it 
but yeah. no one's done it yet. <laughs> and then you point them to all the very strong female characters. Exactly. And you're like, uh, shove it. <laughs> so- yeah, right. Female Topia. I love it. That's funny as hell. <laughs> well, we're taking it. We're taking advantage of that because uh, I was talking to some of the patrons and I said, you know, if you guys want to talk about the technical aspects of, you know, they get into the fictional physics and all that kind of thing. I said, if you want to talk about it, I can do a little bit of a, I, I have Mark in the car, which is just me sitting in the car talking about things about the show. And I said, I can do another show where I just, I literally just sit down and talk about all the various scientific aspects to the show. And I came up with a name for it. Malesplaining. Nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You have to. That's amazing. <laughs> I think I think that's going to be the best, the best show name I can come up with. That is very good. Uh, Love yeah, I, I've I've had I've had a few moments of of what I thought were genius as I was sitting around trying to figure out names for things and the the, the biggest problem for me is always like how will, how will it be interpreted? I don't want to say anything that gets me into trouble, but when I I thought about mouthsplaining, I was like, I think that's just perfect. I think it's, that it's works. pretty amazing. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's like tongue in cheek and it yeah. pokes fun at yourself and yeah. yeah. Well, I just love it. any anytime anybody gives me a platform to talk about like science or something, I'm like I'm going to jump on it. I don't know if if there's a real desire to hear like fictional physics, but if there is, I'm the guy to do it. I'll sit there and talk. If need be, you could always call it Mark Splaining. Mark Splaining. <laughs> but, but they're always very non-technical. Like I, I when I do a show, I, I kind of have to get out of the house because my kid's all over me. So I just get into my car and I go somewhere and I call it Mark in a car. And I thought that was okay. Well, just me kind of chatting to people inside my car. But now that there seems to be a, an increased desire to hear the um, the fictional physics that I'm very happy yeah. to no, no, now I've got like another. Show. It'll probably also be taking place in the car, but it will not feature in the title. Awesome. Well, well we will things. let David. We'll let you go, Bye, David. Everybody. Otherwise, you'll be here for another two hours. <laughs> Thank you very much, David. Really appreciate Thanks, it. David. Thanks, Thanks again, David. Bye bye now. Bye bye. <laughs> Wonderful to have him on. Thanks for yeah, setting that up. Of course, Kelly. of course. It was easy. He was like sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, so what are you doing at seven? You're going to get online. <laughs> and I don't know if we recorded this part, but you were telling us that you kicked him out of the good studio. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, can... mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm in his office downstairs right now, and I yeah, I've got the good lighting. I look, you know, and he's up at my little uh, yeah, my little my little work little desk with the station. <laughs> yeah, with the living room awesome. behind him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've I've also told the uh, patron, well, not patron, not exclusively patrons, but uh, people on Discord that I'll be I'll be looking at their uh, as we record their branch not live, but I, I know they have a lot of questions. Cool. They, uh, they they gave Sounds us a good. lot of questions. Um, anything else, uh, Mark and Kelly in particular? Anything else you want to discuss or? bring up about season two it's come to an end any thoughts on um any news we can share on a possible season three but how do you both feel at the end of um another pretty long season wasn't it some yeah it was the one it beat out the damnation machine yeah it was by like like an episode oh wow that is long then I'm, I'm not, you gotta hit me over the head head to get me to i'll just keep writing it I, i i get afraid of times when we don't have anything posted so like if i'm writing and i think oh if i have to stop the season we have to come up with alternative material which means i'm going to have to write some more material so i just keep i just keep writing as long as there's something there that i can write 
I'll keep writing. But it's like right now, the season is only probably going to last for about a month before I can start writing it now. It's not like I really have to do too much to continue it. I've got it all, all everything that I need is already in the notes. But I, I, I can say that um, <laughs> season three is focused a little, maybe I can say this. I think I can say this. It, it's, it's definitely going to be more about Isaiah. And who he is, what he is, what's going down with all that. I mean, you know, my writing technique is generally just to kind of throw a little bit out at first. Just a teeny bit and then kind of pick it up as I go. Um, I don't forget anything. I, 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 have, I have substantial notes. I'll always get back to things that I drop in, in very small <laughs> quantities. You'll think I forgot about them, but I did not. I will come back to them. And uh, Isaiah was a very small drip at first, and then he's he's kind of now become more of a thing so there'll definitely be a lot more of him or it or whatever it turns out to be in season three season one was what like 50 episodes give or take i think there, so. no no it was uh 30 30 oh really 34 let's say let me let me look because um i think it was um why, why, why do I do that? Let's see, I'm always expecting Kelly to like send me a text. Are we done with the season yet? You, how long is this going to go on? Stop writing. It's gone on for. I think it's over. I, I think it's over a thousand pages. It's gotta uh, be, yeah, yeah. And that's just season two. Um, I don't know how long season thirty four. I was right. Thirty four episodes was the wow. First, okay, first that's that's um with um, editing. That's six, uh, that's a trilogy. So that's six of, of novels. Sixty-two episodes for season two. Oh Jesus! Yeah, almost, wow. almost twice the amount. Yeah, but I don't think. But I don't think it was like unnaturally stretched. I mean, there was a lot mm -hmm. of stuff to unpack. Yeah. I mean, you had the you had the scream eater yeah. arc that needed to be there, which was the. the oh yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't artificially inflate it. I mean, there's just so much stuff there that I can just keep going. I mean, you know, when we talk about neurodivergence, I think one of the the characteristics of what I have is just this incessant need to just keep writing and coming up with things. So for me, it's just, I just keep my head down and I write and I write and I write and I don't say so whenever I'm not writing that I'm writing something else. Um, I'm plotting. I mean, I've got like, I think at this point, nine shows that are sitting there ready to go. And those are new shows. <laughs> I've got all the old shows that are waiting for either a season two or a season three. Um, and one show What's that? People are banging down the doors for Damnation Machine 2. Yeah, people really want Damnation. I really want to give it to them. The, the only reason I haven't done anything with it yet is just I want to see what kind of a cast we can get. I mean, right now it's just just me and Kelly, and we got like 18 characters. Yeah. Uh, so I don't – I can do a lot of characters, but I don't we know. We, we lost uh, – we didn't lose her, but I, I – we have another voice actress and, and her voice actor and she, but she's, she's got a big family and she's got, mm. I, I just feel bad putting it on her. Cause she's, I, I know she, she loves doing it, but it, it's just like, she's, I, I always know she's got a rush and she doesn't always have time. And I just, I feel like it's too, yeah it's, um, and I, I, I just feel like I'm burdening her to be kind of like, you know, all set and ready to go. So I've kind of been just holding off to see what we could do about it in terms of, I mean, um, I think Kelly, you were doing two or three voices on that show, weren't you? Yeah. And Antonia, uh, uh, the the gun maiden. Aunt, I love the gun maiden. Aunt Birdie in that one. She was in that, right? 
yeah Bert, miss bird or oh, yeah, Mother bird. Aunt, aunt birdie um yeah. there's somebody else i would have you do a show entirely on the iron or the 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 gun maiden i love that <laughs> i you know i do too it is it is a bitch to do <laughs> that's one of those ones where like i i do a few lines and i'm like <laughs> i'm coughing and i have to drink water and sit and wait a few seconds but i love it i love that voice and like i i'm so stoked i came up with it but then i'm like oh it's like so hard to do it's so hard to do so yeah it's like me and shane i do shane i can do him for about Mm-hmm. I don't know, four or five lines and then my throat starts going nuts I'm yeah like, oh, i can't do it and like i don't want to write characters that i have to limit their their time because of my inability to voice them but it's like i, I, can't, I can't do shane any longer and you wouldn't think he would be the one that bothers me i mean i do mr sugar who's kind of like vocally you know uh, totally all over the place but i have no problem with him it's just shane it's just i have to get down to such a, a depth in in my yeah, like that register right yeah, yeah yeah and it's just like i can't i can't keep it up and i'll go yeah. back when i do his character i'll go back and i'll check out how he sounded initially when i started out my throat was all right and then i'll go back i'm like oh he definitely drops off in quality i gotta give i gotta wait a little bit for my throat to kind of recuperate and I'll go back and do it again that's but, what happened with with batna i mean batna it's like i was fine for a little while and then i'm like okay i i need to come back to this later and finish it off and i have to listen again to what i did make sure i get the right and then do it yeah. my, my throat would just get so crazy um i, I had yeah. a similar problem with baron because i kept trying to do i didn't want yeah. to just do a deep voice i wanted to do like a like a gravelly yeah so i kept doing it and i was like jesus christ this hurts like, it kills you right? I, I know i know because like, his his voice is artificially lowered and and a common a weird thing i want to address a common misconception by people is that uh the family man voice was deepened to make him sound scary that is not actually the reason we deepened his voice. We deepened his voice because he's a giant man. So when we initially did Mark's voice, we're like, he doesn't, he sounds, he doesn't sound very big. So I'm like, well, if I, I'll deepen the voice and he'll just sound, he'll naturally sound bigger. But I noticed on YouTube, there was a couple comments like, like he do, they don't need to deepen it because he, he doesn't, he's, it, they don't need to try to make him sound more scary. I'm like, that wasn't at all even right. on our minds it, well, our mind wasn't because he's not supposed to sound scary he's actually like a, a thinker he's like a philosophical guy it, it was I, purely I, because we wanted him to make make him sound like he is because he's huge sure right right so that's why we made him have a deep voice i can't stand listening to him once i made the connection to who i think he sounds like and once you hear who i think he sounds like you will never be able to listen to him again he sounds like and i think this is the right guy you, you know ralph the muppet he sounds like ralph the muppet that's who he sounds like to me and like every time i listen to it it's ralph the muppet i'm like oh my god i can never listen to this again because it's ralph the muppet that's pretty funny well i i started laughing with with batna after a while because i was like i sound like i sound like a muppet that's why i started, I started, I started picturing myself as this weird puppet and it was like and i was like what are you doing and it got funny to me after a while and i was like does this suck i don't know because i sound like a muppet it just got it got funny yeah yeah well, that's always where the the effects always or are always handy especially when coming up with like because you can't do you know it, it's hard to do an inhuman because you're human so it's you right. can't come up with like an inhuman voice so it's like when and when you try it you know it can sound weird so but like once i put the effects on and everything it sounds great so it's like like what the, the the inhuman character that i think sounds perfect and i hope i hope that we can capture the same is is the dead knot the dead Brown, yeah, the dead he always comes out perfect every time i listen to him I'm like ah 
that's he's fine. He he sounds yeah. exactly like he should sound, I think. But there's so many other characters that like I don't I don't know as if I've captured the property. Like for instance, when you go into Isaiah, I've said in the past when I've talked about Isaiah, who I based him on. Mm-hmm. But I was caught in the moment. And I often draw blanks when people ask me questions, like especially when it comes to proper nouns, I can never think of anything. But Isaiah is actually just one character from a movie. Um, I, I I think, I mean, I, I definitely drew from characters like um, Blade Runner. I can't think of his name, Decker, Decker, Decker or Deckard. I don't know if there's a T in there. Um, you know, just, just a lot of sci-fi noir kind of characters. But the character he's actually based on, as is the gun, um, or at least the idea of the gun, is if you've ever watched Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis, that's Isaiah. Like, that's absolutely who I was thinking of when I made that character. And um, I found that movie on X. I had no idea it had Bill or, or Bruce Willis in it or anything like that. So I'm, I'm like watching this movie. And I don't know if you've seen it, but he's got regular guns. It's not a, they're not about superhumans or anything like that. There's no super technology or anything it's an old wild west kind of noir thing based happens off during, uh, it happens during prohibition and i think yeah, i think it's it's, it's based off an it's, earlier um it's a, a japanese film uh yeah i, think I can't film. i can't write it's a very famous director but last man standing is a yes yeah, a remake it's like kind of like a remake of this old samurai film i can't remember i'm sure it's maybe somebody yeah, i'm sure it's one of um kurosawa's films maybe? i think kurosawa yeah it, he was a huge influence on a lot of these Western samurai, right? No, something like that. Yeah, but it's 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 basically there's other films like Last Man Standing that are based off Kurosawa uh, films. But well, I he, just, he just he walks around, he speaks in that kind of classic noir deadpan, and when he uses this gun, which is it's just comically overpowered like he'll shoot someone and they like fly across the room. Yeah, and I watch that, I'm like. As I'm coming up with Isaiah, I was like, he was my go-to in, in my head as to the voice. I just heard Bruce Willis talking in that kind of, if you watch the movie, it's just really over yeah. the top, kind of almost comically noir. And like so the action scenes are equally over the top. I mean, this one gun that these two guns that he uses are just overly powered. People are like flying through the air when he's shooting them and things. And it's just, it's just funny. So when I started thinking about it, I'm like, I think this character needs to be like him. And I want his guns to do something similarly. I want them to just kind of blast people off of their feet. Mm-hmm. And so it really, it really is. Isaiah is at his core. He is um, John Smith from out out west. West, back west or back, or back, back east. Back east. John John Smith from back east from Last Man Standing. That that is, and he's, that and he's uh, Jack Nicholson from uh, Chinatown. Yes, but well, the voice. The voice. Wikipedia yeah. says um, "Last Man Standing" is a credited remake of Kurosawa's Yojimbo. Yojimbo, oh, that's Yojimbo. it. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Uh, and the yeah. other thing about the, that what, that maps onto the guns is, if you watch the movie, Bruce Willis never runs out of bullets until <laughs> he no longer needs them. Like once he's yeah. cleared out the room, then the gun. Then he. That's the only time he needs to reload. So like he never runs out in the middle of the fight. He just those pistols can just keep shooting and shooting and shooting. Take the and pistol. No, I mean that's the dimension of you know the 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 pale revolvers. They don't need ammunition. He just keeps yeah. continues to fire them. And initially it was a matter of how long he could hold them. But then as he he progressed. But the but the Jack Nicholson thing, I didn't realize how much his voice had changed. Like how differently I I affected his voice. 
because it's actually somewhat different if you first listen to the first episode versus yeah i i hadn't listened to the first episode at all i went back like i think it was a week ago and i listened to him like that doesn't sound like isaiah at all <laughs> i really <laughs> changed his voice up as i went along i think because we both we he, both kind of evolved it a, a little bit i went back to the beginning too and i was kind of like oh that's what i was going for that's that's right oh well, it became this <laughs> so it's like yeah <laughs> And she's so second nature to me now. It's just it's like easy to drop into her, which is great. You you did one scene. I remember. I I wish I could remember the specific scene, but she 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 raised her voice. She was yelling or something. And um, I don't know how you did it, but you, you you the inflection was was awesome. It was like this. I can't remember how you did it, but it was. I remember this one specific moment where I was listening to it. And I'm like, wow, that was. That was incredible. You kind of like moved from calm to like mad. It was it was interesting because Romy isn't oftentimes very mad. I mean, she gets a little yeah. upset, but she doesn't generally get like pissed off. And I think it was one of the first times where she and Isaiah actually hashed it out. Like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff here we haven't talked about. So let's just talk about it. And they got into it and she got pissed off at him and you kind of brought your voice up and it was extraordinarily realistic. Um, oh right on i remember when we when the, when those conversations started coming i was like oh no i'm like how am i doing this right because i didn't want to i didn't want to make it sound i don't i didn't want to i didn't want to screw it up because i realized like this was a really pivotal moment between the two and so yeah it took me i, I sat there i worked with that for a long time to make just kind of make sure i get myself emotionally dropped in where i needed to be with that and so i'm thanks <laughs> i'm glad to hear i'm glad to oh, hear right. it hit right because i was hoping that i was going to get that right well, the only time I ever really leave voice notes is when I think that there could be some confusion as to what I'm looking for, because generally you just you always pick up on it and and do the appropriate tone. I, I, I only include generally my notes are just for Steven. It's like this is kind of the sound effect yeah. I want. But in terms of like giving you any notes as to how the character, I mean, you always nail it anyway. The only time I ever really do anything by way of direction is just like, if I think the scene may have changed in a way that isn't obvious. And so I, yeah. I kind of, I want to make sure that you know that because my writing can be confusing at times. So I'm thinking, I, I really want to give her some direction to let her know that, mm -hmm. you know, this, the mood is switched to this from that. Um, because a lot of times I, and this Stephen can definitely uh, attest to this. I'll listen to it afterwards. And I'm like, I can't believe that I didn't put in this sound effect or I didn't like make a note about the sound effect or something. And I've never, I've never had that happen with you. You've always, always nailed the tone, the inflection yeah. and everything. It's me that screws up. <laughs> it's funny. Would you guys, would you guys like to go over some uh, fan questions? Yeah. No, sure. I just figured I'd throw these in here. Uh, let's see. Socks uh, wants to know, can you guys go over how you create such diverse characters? Do you start off with an archetype or do you base it off people you know? Um, a lot of times, I mean, I draw from so many different things. I mean, it could be a movie. It could be um, just something that hits me a lot of times. And this is this is weird. I'll hear something the wrong way and it'll give me an idea for something that just goes all the way. Like I'll hear somebody say something like uh, like Deadknot, for instance, the name Deadknot. Um, I heard someone say Dreadnought and I misconstrued it to hear Deadknot. And then I was like, oh, I really like that name. Deadknot. It says everything I wanted to say. He's dead, but not. And he's also like Dreadnought, Juggernaut. It definitely has the kind of punch that I want to communicate his physicality. Um, and then it just kind of snowballs. I just kind of go. I just kind of roll with it in my head. 
I remember with that character, um, when you first wrote it, I was um, looking at the draft and you had the suffix N-O-U-G-H-T yeah. as, a, as opposed to N-A-U-T. And we had a great discussion about the differences and the implications of those um, two suffixes. And I remember in uh, my research, like the dreadnought was like a big U.S. military ship. And I looked up the, what do you call it? N-A-U-T, not for like an asteroid. Yeah, the etymology. I got this mm. little plug-in on my browser. And N-A-U-T means like to traverse or something. To that effect, to travel through or to travel just to travel and so astronaut is a, a space traveler and i always loved dead not with a n-a-u-t because uh, he mm -hmm. does like traverse between the living and the dead in a strange way where you know the monster is and the the dead not himself is always talking about the the difference between the living and the dead and like coming up from hell or whatever, I forget. But um, where Mark comes up with, Mark and Steve both come up with, we, we all love toying around with the different names and stuff. And I like uh, dissecting it with the, the etymology of it to see how it could be tweaked even further to give it some cool lore. And I don't know, that's all interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I come at it from all kinds of different directions. Um, I know mythology's huge influence. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely um, go through a lot of mythologies, a lot of different kinds of uh, cultural lore, things like that. Sometimes I'll draw from my dream notebook. Um, but it, it really isn't a specific process. It's, it's very scattered throughout a lot of different kinds of experiences and inputs that I received during the course of the day. It could be I'm driving around the cemetery that day and I see a name and it just kind of conveys some sense of something to me. And I'm like, oh, well, this is like Blackledge. Um, I mentioned that earlier is the name of the city that I come up with. And it just kind of made itself as I looked. I'm like, Blackledge, what would, why would it have a Blackledge? Oh, because it's covered in soot. Why would it be covered in soot? Oh, because it was, it was doing all this, um, you know, manufacturing or industrial stuff. So it just kind of snowballs. I did, and then See, I did, fell down. To me, the Mark's process and uh, likely Steve's as well, to me, it all comes down again to their uniquely and acutely creative minds as i've said before they have to do this mm -hmm. they can't help it even if they wanted to they have to do what they do and it's like the beginning of that process their brains are like creative vacuums like everything they take in they're able to kind of turn it over in their minds and use it as fuel for this thing they have to do so it's almost like this crazy overdrive turbo setting that's always on in their brain. And it allows them to everything from dreams to walking down the street. They take all that in as fuel for this outlet and nothing else. And that's got to be batshit crazy to me. I couldn't I don't know how you guys manage it. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild to me. I will I will say that on on the level of drawing from personal experience 
one character in specific uh, in Grimwind is is based off a specific person that I met who I thought was it's kind of an arbitrary meaning. I just always thought he was funny. Um, when I was in community college, there was this guy and uh, I was just starting out in college and there was this Italian guy and he he, he had really thick Brooklyn accent. And, you know, we talked like this and his name was Sal. And uh, just, you of know, course the, 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 his name was Sal. I, I was going to say the same thing. His, his name was Salvatore. And, you know, when you talk to him, you didn't, you didn't get the sense that, he you know, you got this, you know, j- just because of the, the accent, you don't you don't necessarily like, you know, like, is he a bright guy? Is he not? And so, but he was a nice guy and I talked to him a lot. And I remember we we got our papers back and I don't know, I got like a 90. And the, the other guy I was talking to, uh, my friend Nick, like an 85, and Sal walked in the room. And I'm like, hey, Sal, what's up? He's like, hey, not much, not much going on at all. And I was like, uh, did you get your paperback? He's like, yeah. And then he sits down. And I go, what you get? And he put, he he just he crosses his legs, puts them up. And he goes, 100. And <laughs> I just started laughing. And he just, he was just this character in my community, in my college, my, my community college life, where he was just this guy full of surprises. And I just loved the way he talked. And I remember, I remember it, it was it was at the time of uh, it was Gore versus Bush, and there was a huge controversy of the votes. And me and Sal were sitting on a couch, and there was this this kid who was just fucking annoying as shit. He was just this, uh, you know. He I think he was conservative, but it's beside the point, he was just, he just kept bothering people. And when he came up. So I was I was trying to be polite. He's like, "Well, what do you guys think? What do you guys think? Don't you think this is bullshit?" And I go, well, you know, I don't, I don't really care. And Sal gets up. And he's like, look, you need to shut the fuck up and get the fuck over there right now before I kick your ass. Get over there. And he just, it just, it's just everybody in the room looked at Sal. And I'm just, I'm laughing because I'm just like, holy shit. And then the guy's like, oh, oh, okay. He's like, get over there now. He goes and goes back. <laughs> Sal sits back down and acts like the, none of it happened at all. Like he just goes back to talking to me about whatever it was. But he's like a super smart guy, but he had the street level, like, like kind of like machismo. zero zero problem <laughs> with confrontation. Like so when I when I invent when I made Sal, that's exactly who I picture. I picture that guy who I went to community college with Sal. It's when I made the character. That's Sal. awesome. And that's how Salvatore talks. He talks just like South from my uh, community college. So, that's awesome. I, I steal characters that I, you know, I, I try to bury, or, or I shouldn't say I try to bury. I try to, like, angle the voice a little bit so that it doesn't sound like the person I'm trying to copy. Like, a lot of people like Keith. And Keith comes, and I don't know the name of the actual actor, which I, I should look up. Who I should look up. Um but it's it's he's Mr. Dark from um, Don't Be or what is it? Uh, something uh, wicked this way comes. Wicked this way mm. comes. And he's, he's I, I don't think I do an actual. Uh, I, I don't think the accent actually does the, this guy justice, whose name I cannot come up with. But it's in the attempt that his voice is is created, <clears throat> and um, he's just a very creepy dude. And this particular actor is just very, very well known for his voice and his his speaking. Uh, Jonathan the, Price. Jonathan Price. 
And he's just an incredible actor, and his his he's got an intensity to him. He's just got this really smoldering quality to him whenever he's on the screen, and his voice reflects that a thousand times over. Oh, so he, he played the the head priest of the 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 faith militant in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, he yeah plays, that's uh, right. The sparrows or whatever they're called. Yeah, 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 he's like the the Pope's doppelganger. Oh. Looks a lot like him, but he was incredible in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Really good, infuriating yeah, really dude, infuriating character. Yep. But I, I just try to do him, and Keith is what comes out, <laughs> and that's just kind of where he came from. And a lot of the other, like you know, with Isaiah, it's it's an attempt at, at Jack Nicholson. Which I've noticed over the years has now become more like Jack Nicholson than it initially started out as. But, eh, you know, I love Jack Nicholson, so why not? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite actors, which is, of course, why I learned the accent to begin with. Unfortunately, I have not been able to develop some of the other characters because or in the ways that I wanted to, because I cannot master the accents. I cannot do French and I cannot do German. And it drives me nuts. I have tried. I've, I've done tutorials. I just can't. I can get some of it. Just not enough to to risk yeah. doing an entire character based around it. I wish I could. I, I can do a lot of other voices, a lot of other accents, but those two, those are the the brass rings that I I have yet to reach. I'm still working on it. Maybe maybe at some point I will be able to do it. But um, Romy was was yet again. It was kind of like I saw something and the character came together, and mm-hmm. that character was. Um, Yet again, I cannot come up with people's names. Um, she is in. Uh, is and we've talked about this, Row? and I can't remember either. Um, yeah, is it Carnival Row that she was in? It was. It was a. It was a show that got discontinued, and they kind of had to wrap it up very quickly. I remember it had. Um, there was like a werewolf in it, and she was a vampire. I can't think of her name. Oh. Uh... Uh, Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful, yeah. Yeah, that was it. She's based off of, uh, what's her name's character? Emma Green or whatever her name is? Eva Green? Uh, Eva Green, Eva Green, yeah. Yeah. Rosemary is, for all intents and purposes, Eva Green. That's that's who I picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's, I I don't know when, why that occurred. I just kind of remembered her and I remembered the long dress and the dark colors and the kind of very, the dark aesthetic with the, the, I I think at one point she was wearing a veil or something. And she just kind of stood out to me. Like if I'm going, Rosemary kind of just connected the the concept itself, just kind of connected itself to her. And I was like, okay, that's, that's Rosemary. And um, when you started to voice her, I was like, perfect perfect match works out perfectly that's you know one of those moments where i'm like ah that worked out perfectly that's great i had to drop this off to you sometime mark what's that i don't know if you can read it a german accent yeah these are from my acting days in my 20s i picked up a bunch of folders on um accents and it breaks down like everything and there's terms for all of this stuff like Fricative, dental fricatives and all this other stuff. And it takes you through how to pronounce exactly each and every aspect of the, of the accent of the dialect, the uvular trill and all this other crap. And it breaks it down perfectly. And from there, it's just a matter of muscle memory. And Mm -hmm. it gives you all these, um, all these practice, phrases that you can say 
and uh, stuff like that. I never got into German, but I did. Uh, I've got Australian and uh, standard British. Standard British, I got decent at, but I never dove into German because, like you said, it is it's really hard. I got to get Kelly some more roles where you're doing Southern accents because the one you did for Team Nine was was awesome. The Team okay. Seven, Seven or Team Nine? I don't know. I was um, <laughs> what is it? T- team Seven? Is it Team? Yeah, I think. Let me, look it up. Let, me, let me look it up real quick. I don't well, it, was, it was Maria, questions. right? It was it was Maria, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, that was so I. A, a southern accent's the easiest one for me to get. I love them, and I, I find myself sometimes I have to start doing it. I'm like, this isn't Team even 20, southern. Team twenty seven. No. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, give give me all the southern you have. I have all kinds of variations on that. <laughs> oh, maybe 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 for the new character we can do uh, uh, the southern. That would work. Uh, that would work. Yeah, that'd be good. We have a. Uh, uh, We'll try to mix them up with the, the actor questions, with the mythology questions, or whatever you guys want. I have I have yeah. questions here for for the actor, so I'm going to ask yeah. you some questions, Kelly. Okay. Because I I wrote these and I want to make sure that we use some of them because as I was writing them, I kept thinking, oh, we're going to run out of things to talk about. Like we'll probably and like we haven't even hit one of the questions. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all pretty good at talking, so. <laughs> Let's see. How do you prepare for your role, especially when portraying fear or supernatural experiences? That was one I liked off that list. <laughs> um, what the way I approach it every week. It, one thing I love is that I, I don't know what's coming. Like I know we probably could talk. I'd be like, Mark, let me let me know what's happening in a couple you know weeks down the line. But like I am the person. I want to be in the moment, and I just want to be in the moment. So I, I don't necessarily. I don't cold read because I'm that would be a disaster, an absolute disaster. But I I will just take it. I'll give it I'll give it a quick read through so I can get a good feel of, of where we're at. And if there's something in there where there's fear, because that's hard to do because it, it can, yeah. you know, it, it can come off sounding just really fake if you don't really put some effort into it. And so. I, I my my fallback is I'm basically I'm an only child and I have a very overactive imagination and I was and so I would just act out things all the time in my head as, as growing up and I still do that I, it's it's I'll be sitting somewhere and I'll be like I'm in a scene and I just start doing this in my head so it's kind of for me to look at something and go all right okay I, I can sink into this this is easy so I'll sit there and I'll read it through at least once might do it a second time through and then I get in front of the mic and when I'm in that moment it's all about just not even paying attention to what's in front of me and just really imagining myself in that <laughs> moment. And that's kind of how I, I've done it. And um, that's not always a first take thing. That's for sure. I, I usually hate what I do and I have to go back and be like, that didn't sound right. I, I, I didn't sound scared enough. I didn't sound nervous enough. And so I'll, I'll fine tune it from there. But um, I've always been able to just kind of like picture myself in that scene. And we were talking earlier about like, hitting the mic and the pop filters and all that stuff. I, I am, I'm moving my arms in around like crazy in that booth. And I can't tell you how many times I've knocked over stuff while I'm actually recording <laughs> because I, I actually, I like, to, I like to actually work through what I'm doing and that helps me get in it even more. So it's, it's kind of an interesting little process in that way. Yeah. I, I can remember you, um, we were doing a scene for, why do I start sentences? I know I can't complete with the requisite information. <laughs> But you were you were you were afraid. I'm going to remember this damn scene. <laughs> I'm like I don't remember it. What is it? It's a. 
I don't, and yet again, I don't think I, I had any any direction at all. But it was a scene. I think maybe it was the first time she spoke to Mister Sugar. Maybe that was it. But there was one scene where she was very very frightened, and you brought that across. There was actually a tremble to your voice, like you were when you were talking. There was like this bit of tremble, and it reminded me of. I remember Anthony Hopkins did an interview once and he was talking about like tremendous actresses and actors and and scenarios wherein he just kind of experienced what he thought was like a, a really great theatrical moment. And the one he pointed out was uh, in Silence of the Lambs. Um, he's talking to Clarice and there's this point where she's very frightened. And she's trying to speak despite the fright. And we all know the feeling. It's like you just don't have the internal fortitude to push the words out. But when you try to, they're all fluttery and they mm -hmm. just don't obtain in the way that you want them to. And she did that. And that was kind of what reminded me uh, of that scene was what reminded me when you did this because you were talking, but you were, you were managing to like flutter your voice in just the right way where yeah. you conveyed both the fact she was frightened, but she was also pushing through it, which is a hard thing to convey. And I remember I was thinking to myself, man, she really nailed that because that's exactly <laughs> the the sense that I got from that scene, because she's obviously someone trying to master her fear, but she's still very palpably frightened, you know, and that that came across perfectly. All right on. Thank you. You're very Romy, Romy's a, I, I, I love, I love Romy. Like, please keep writing <laughs> Romy. Cause I, I don't want to say goodbye to her at all, but she's her range of what she's gone, especially in this last season of just, I mean, honestly, this last season was ape shit for her. Like, absolutely ape shit. Yeah. I mean, everything that happened. And it's been such an interesting, it's like a, it's not like a real actress here. It's not like it was a great journey uh, that we wanted. No, but it, it really was, especially for me, because I think I, I felt like I was growing more as a voice actor just because the scenes were really complex and there were those little nuances in there. And I think at this stage, it's like, we've all hit a really good groove and like, I, I get what you're writing. I understand her. And so it's like, and I feel where she's at with like every week when I read it, I'm like, Oh my God. And then I finish the story. I'm like, Oh my God, now what's going to happen now? Like I'm real, I'm in it. And it, it really, it's just the combination of all of that it just really helps me kind of just understand her. And so I, I think it's becoming a little more easier for me to, I think pull pull across what what we're trying to do um yeah i i love it it's, it's a great it's a neat process but yeah i like to spend the time just like really picturing myself I, i'm picturing sugar in front of me or whoever it is and it's yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of neat how that works well there i mean you've, you've definitely developed a jive for it because you know we're, we're a lot of people I, I don't know if this is true but i'm going to assume that a lot of podcasts have people doing readings together you know they're they're you know in the same room they're you know they're measuring the response of the other person whereas you and i don't do that i just do my lines and then they match up with yours yeah and there's kind of like an organic quality to that now mm -hmm. over the time that we've been doing this where you couldn't tell that they weren't in the room you can't tell that you're yeah. doing your lines over there and i'm you know hours to days uh you know separate from when i'm doing mine and they're so we're so good at kind of blending them together yeah. because they've been together for so long and we've been having them exchange for so long that there's really no no telling that they're not in the room it's like when he starts getting upset and she gets upset i mean there's a it would be very easy to mismatch the levels of intensity and not have them match up when you put them together and, and yep. people will be like well she definitely is doing something different than what he's doing they're they're not matched in terms of temperament right now or volume or intensity or passion mm -hmm. but that never ever happens 
um they sound we sound like we've been just we're just sitting across from each other talking yeah no i agree we have a really we're really in sync with that and that's been awesome because there's been once in a while i'll record something like there was one scene where you and i were really going at it and i was like i went back and i was cleaning it up and i was in this one line i was just like oh that's horrible i'm like it, it just it lost all kinds the tone was just not there and i'm like i know damn well I had in my head, I'm like, I know how you're going to say that line. And this is not the way, this is not matching that at all. I had to go back down. I did it three times, actually, until I finally got it right. <laughs> and then, yeah, and, and when I heard it, the playback, I was like, no, that's perfect. It fit together great. So, yeah. And, and that's the hard thing about it, too, is like you're playing a character who is designed to be more intense. And mm -hmm. Isaiah is supposed to be more flat. And so when they do get into dust ups, you would expect there, there would be some difficulty with us matching that up with each other because they're really coming at each other from bizarre locations in terms of yeah. how they're feeling this. And it never, ever happens. They, they, they fit together and the scenes go like, you know, like we've been sitting across from each other doing the line. So over the time that we've been doing this, I think we've really brought them into a kind of, um, I don't know, like a, like a shared experience. I think they just, mm -hmm. they just work together. And that's, you know, you can't ask for anything more than that. Yep. No, it's been great. <laughs> I love it. Okay, I'm going to ask you another question. What's your favorite episode or scene you've worked on and why? Oh, God. I was afraid you were going to ask me that one. Because, uh, again, like recalling things like, oh, man. Um, honestly, it's I think it's because for me, it was the first time I hit something that was really challenging for me. But was the scene, um, was it last season? <laughs> where we were anymore. I don't know where we are anymore. Um, when Isaiah died and oh. yeah. And Romy was just like trying to come to terms with, Oh, what the, Oh my God. And that whole scene. And it, cause it was, um, from, at first I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm like, ah, Oh my God, I don't think I can handle this. Like I, I wasn't sure what to do, I, but it, it, it was, I, it's one of my favorite scenes because it was just, it just in growth first and it just in roaming in expressing her own feelings but then in me having to figure out how to get that tone right and and how to pull off that scene because that that was horrifying i finally finally got to that i was like okay i i is is it gonna be different i remember i wrote you i was like dude so what's going on <laughs> is, is he really gone like what's happening he's not gone right it, it can't be happening like this um that was one of my favorite ones to do just because i felt like that was a, one of the first times in their relationship where it just it it just got it got really serious and it was like you could yeah. tell like it was that time like you could tell the two of them like we we're still feeling each other out for a while we you know we just gotten back together and finally it was like this is the time we've we've solidified back as a family again and i really loved that scene because i thought it was just had the right amount of intensity sadness and then she's like i'm gonna go fucking kick their asses and then she takes off and i was like that this is kind of awesome because it was romy's time to finally stand up and take get revenge you know and that was a really neat transition i think for her yeah. we get a lot of comments about that that everybody was really really blown away by that by uh your performance they were like oh, yeah the intent like we had a lot a lot of comments about that as a matter of fact oh that's awesome i'm glad yeah, yeah every everybody was really and it was it was kind of a hard scene because like you said that 
they have to kind of come to i mean you're 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 piecing together two characters that have been apart for a long time but at the yeah. same time they've always maintained a certain level of connectivity despite the distance and despite the amount of time um that they've been kind of forced into completely different like paradigmic dimension or uh, directions and so you know you have to kind of make that emotionality believable especially after they're not really that well acquainted but they're kind of living off of the idea of each other and lamenting mm -hmm. that more so than anything else and it was just a really uh, interesting scene to watch you play through because you did all of the the requisite kind of like phases to go through you know you, mm -hmm. ending you know unlike the whole what is it the phases of grief phases of grief you know your years ended yeah. with the anger you know she's going to go and, and get them as a direct result of all of yeah. this but uh, i think that was a very <laughs> uh you did extraordinarily well with that because it was very um like i said a lot of people were really hit with that oh that's so cool <laughs> to hear love it <laughs> I'm, I'm just cycling through all our questions oh wait wait a minute maybe i should do one for you want me to do one from uh, one of the people okay sure okay so this is from brandon Brandon was very zealous. He had he has like ten questions. Oh, yeah, he had like ten questions. Him and I, Brandon. him and me, uh, talk a lot on Discord because um, he loves the physics, and I love talking. Yeah. About That's the awesome. <laughs> we have we have very active theories thread. Everybody likes to, to come up with the theories and stuff like that, which I think is awesome. Yeah, which is, which is kind of like my jam. I love it when I see one of these questions. Like, oh, I get to write some stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he wants to know: Would you mind telling us the known bulges unbegotten so far? Or even more. Mm. Let's see the known. That's a good one. <laughs> there are a lot of them, but we've only revealed a few. Uh, the bulge. Well, first of all, let's talk about what a bulge is. I guess a bulge is, from what we understand, it's part of another, possibly another universe, like a departmentalized or compartmentalized portion of that universe that seems to be thematically dominated by something, you know, dark, like a dark theme of some kind. Um, so anytime we were introduced to a bulge, it's always in the context of it representing manifesting some kind of horrible thing, a uh, specific species of horrible thing. So we've got the Prince of Eels. He was the, well, the, the, that's the bulge of never ending night. That's the, yeah, the bulge of never ending night. We've seen that's the, uh, the only begotten the for that is Sathanas. Sathanas. We've seen the gray bulge. And I don't know if we were introduced to the unbegotten there, or was that a sub bulge? I can't remember. No, the unbegotten there is the clown, the great the clown. clown. Um, oh, yeah. The dire clown. Um, there's the bulge of. Jesus oh, we've Christ. seen the Caribbean bulge, the red table, the, the never ending feast. There are specific names for these, but everybody who knows anything about, like, has listened to me with Mark in the car knows that I cannot come up with any proper nouns. I, I, I usually relies on me. It's called the. Yeah, the, I can't. The bulge of everlasting hunger. Yeah, something like that. Or and that is precisely. Uh, so that it's not Carnivian specific. Carnivian, if I remember correctly, Carnivian. Right. They, they, I mean, you'll find that some bulge give rise to different lines of of entities, yeah. but they they find their origin in the same location, but they kind of they di they diverge at a certain point, and become their own is thing. The, but it's is like there a, a is there a scream eater one? Yeah, the bulge of screams. Yep. Yeah, we've we've heard of that one. And that's that's the, the unbegotten of that is the uh, the voice of a thousand screams. Yeah. Then there's the uh, there's uh, we we haven't introduced it into audio, but there's the bulge of the city of the eastern blight. Mm. Um, we we had an essay about that. Uh, we'll hopefully explore them in the future because they're really cool. 
Um, when you say um, there are many, can you give us like a ballpark, or is it kind of oh. unknown in the in the lore? Or I will say there's uh, in terms right now in my notebook, there's probably over a hundred. Um, they're all, you know, they're all they're all kind of demarcated by some kind of theme in terms of something that was extraordinarily uh, prominent during the Great Darkness. But there are also Holder. other other bulges that don't necessarily connect themselves. Oh, there's the 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 bulge of uh, the the Jesus Christ, the uh, New Victorians. The, yeah, the the Harrows. The Harrows. Yeah, but I can't think of the actual name of the bulge. The, the Shigorn is the Unbegotten. Shigorn the Dream. God's Eater. Nightmare. Uh, a couple of other names for him. And uh, essentially, you know, what you're going to see with the bulges is anytime there's a specific. <laughs> kind of sin or evil or something like that there's going to be some kind of an entity that presides over it and the reasons for that are are are, are varied um it's not just that they're just kind of an elemental expression of a bad thing there's a reason why they're there and why the expression became prominent and the specific way in which it manifested and was able to uh, manifest on earth as opposed to just kind of waiting in line the dividing line between the bag place and the good place i don't I, I don't know if i've given a name for either of them yet i think i can do that maybe maybe that's something i can i can give out what the um the great below which is often referred to as the 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 summation of all the bulges actually has a name it's called garuzula it's that we've, universe we called garuzula yeah and the universe that everyone else is in which is to say isaiah the damn all these guys this this side of reality is referred to as embryum and I, I don't know if that's interesting, but that, that's what I refer to them as my, in my notes. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of stuff going on there, and I'll definitely get into that. And in, in when we start doing the uh, mail-splaining, we'll be doing some breakdowns of that, of course. Um, I just realized it's 921. I, I don't know how long we've been doing this, um, but should we stop? <laughs> I mean, Kelly, goes on for like three four hours, I guess. I don't watch him, but... I didn't realize what time it was. I'm like, oh, it is. <laughs> um, maybe we. I don't know. You, yeah, we I, started around seven. seven. Yeah. Started recording so, shortly after. So we're uh, yeah, so we, almost two hours, give or take. How long are these things usually? I mean, I, I don't know. I I just decided that we should probably do this because everyone's been asking us. I'm like, that'd be kind of fun, but then I don't. I, mean, I don't think there's any anything time huh? to be honest but i don't think there's any set time i mean everybody's voice they like long stuff so i don't i don't know well what's um or maybe there's a yeah. way you can slice it up a little bit maybe yeah, right? yeah. is yeah, there what can you tell us about uh like what's in the pipe with season two finished uh i'm not exactly sure what we can talk about but everybody knows of you know the ongoing caveat that this is all subject to change and we don't have uh any concretized plans yet but we do have uh irons in the fire um mark has some specific stuff that we should be getting into next and will likely get into next but if not content wise can we give some sort of timeline like in the next month or two it sounds like season three for sleep wake cycle is on hold for a bit 
And in lieu of that, uh, Steve mentioned something over on the Maltopia feed. Mm -hmm. There will be a new show. Uh, again, it'll be part of the Maltopia universe that we'll explore. Well, we'll get into it. I'm, I'm going to do a, 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 a bunch Morris of thing where I, where I talk about my yeah, projects. He's going to do a bi-weekly show, the newer show, and then he's going to continue with Grimland. Yeah. Um, so there'll be something there every every week. It's just going to be every other week for that one yeah. particular show. I will I will say that the new series is completely dialogue driven. So it unlike some of the other ones where it's either first person, second, or third person. The Gremlins third person, but there's obviously sound effects and different voices. So no narration, just pure audio this is, drama. This is this is pure audio drama. Um, I figured. We hadn't done that yet, and I thought this particular cast and uh, the abilities of these people and everything uh, would be perfect for that type of uh, situation. So, um, so for now, most immediately, um, listeners can turn to the Maltopia feed for uh, continued Grimland and new content there. And mm -hmm. in the meantime, Mark is working on a specific project that we can't give too much um, away about, but it's looking like that's most likely going to come to light and be put out in the next few months, probably at some point. Definitely uh, this year, I would think. What's that, um, the new? Or? Yeah, the new project you're working on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, we're, we're still kind of talking with people of the network trying to figure out where we want to put it, how we want to kind of operationalize it. Um, I'm hoping to get going on it as soon as, I mean, I can start writing it now if I needed to and get the first episode out there just as quickly. Um, season three of the sleep wake cycle, about a month. I mean, I figured we'd start maybe in, around October 1st or something along the Oh, line. really? We're coming yeah. right back with season three. Yeah. I mean, awesome. Okay. I just like to write. So, I mean, <laughs> If I don't write, I'll write something else. So I'm, I might as well continue with that. And no reason for a for a lengthy hiatus, I guess. Um, I want to get Damnation Machine on the tracks. I know that there's a, a a big desire for that. It's just like I said before. There's a, a question of what kind of um, it's got the biggest cast we, we can assemble because it it really I kind of really want to make sure it's done um, <laughs> as best as we can. We've got better equipment now and so on. So we really kind of want to do the the, the best to our ability the best of our technical capacities at this stage um which might require a couple of more voice actors um or maybe it won't i mean if, if push came to shove I'm, I'm sure we could still do it it's just like i kind of want to just see what we could do just kind of give it a little time just to see where we're at and what we could manage um and then i have a bunch of other shows who knows when they're going to show up but they'll show up uh i just keep writing them um I've got one that I'm really interested in. Nobody commented on it, so I don't know if, I, if my enthusiasm is shared with everyone, but um, I have a kaiju show I want to do. And it's from the perspective of the kaiju. It is it is in Maltopia. It takes place within Maltopia. And um, I just, you know, I've always wanted to watch a kaiju movie that had the action but also had different elements to it, like thrilling qualities and so on and so forth to see how well you could manage them all together. 
um, kind of like with The Family Man. I wanted to do something that was kind of Robert Howard's sword and sorcery, but almost with a little bit of Thomas Ligotti in there with the the abstraction or the, 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 the surreal qualities. And with the kaiju film, I wanted to combine some thrilling aspects with obviously the action and the inevitable levels of destruction that would be um, commonplace in a situation like that, but to create some intrigue and whatnot that just wasn't fluff. I mean, I know one of the biggest complaints people have about kaiju films is we don't get enough monster, we get too much human dynamic or human drama. We don't want any of that. We want the monster to cry to kind of do that in a way that people are actually looking forward to the human drama or the, the aspects of it that aren't necessarily directly connected to being a gigantic monster. Um, and a, that, a good, a good taste test for people if they're not familiar with it already is we have the meta meta devil out there, don't we? Yeah. yeah meta probably devil on actually, the... That will actually be the series. I'm going to base it off of, it won't be directly transported from that story, but the name is coming and some elements of the character's development will definitely be in tow. So that's, that's a good show to look at if you're, if you're curious to see how I might want to develop it. Um, but that's one of the shows I'm really eager to do. Uh, there's a, a bunch of other shows that I, I really would love. See, the biggest problem that I have is I've got so much stuff in Maltopia that I want to kind of entreat it on its own level. And, and so I don't want to necessarily tell this particular segment story through the lens of the sleep wake cycle i kind of want them to tell their own story and so i kind of want to reserve you know a separate place for the development of that story its own feed its own whatever its own title its own story and that's kind of what Meltopia is for that that feed so that i can just kind of drop whatever i want to in terms of you know developing the lore in, inside of maybe a short story or a short series or something like that um Whereas something like the sleep wake cycle gets its own feed because it's just much bigger in scale scope and just tells a lot of different stories as it goes along. Um, the new story, however, the new show, I'm just babbling. The new show is a standalone, but it doesn't take place in Maltopia. Although fear not, it's, I don't, I don't tell real happy stories. So it's definitely going to have all of the, the, the requisite uh, male touches, if you will um to the the atmosphere and so on and so forth i just wanted to do something that didn't require anybody to have a homework assignment because <laughs> you know we're all integrated now we've taken this kind of, this is kind of like our jam like we're fully integrated all the stories overlap but the problem with that is of course if you want to get into it it's kind of like well i can't listen to this before i listen to this it's the classic you know mcu problem you know like you can't watch this iron man without watching this suicide squad or no wait those are complete i just cross the streams with that one that's dc and marvel i should never have said that <laughs> um but you know you you really kind of have to get the backstory and you can't watch that movie without watching this one first so i don't want there to be a barrier to entrance where you like you have to have done your homework to get to watch this one particular show so we want to be able to create standalones that are equally uh, interesting and compelling and, and have their own you know uh closed i don't know i mean I, I don't know how long they'll last i mean we'll probably continue on with it the same way i do the sleep wake cycle um and so much as the world that i've developed there is pretty big so i could probably continue to write in that world for quite some time utilizing the same characters and whatnot um, the great thing for me though i think is that the only real barrier to entry is an understanding of uh what the great darkness was and kind of how the world is now and yeah. we've like uh there's an intro video on our youtube channel or something remember that old newscast one i recorded um oh, right, I, think, right. I think we all wrote it together but it's like a a one minute 
monologue that sums up everything you need to know to just pick a story and you're good to go. The only exception to that is Red Mother is the sequel to Shepherd of Wolves. Other than that, you can start with Damnation Machine and you're not going to lose anything by starting there. You can start with the Shepherd of Wolves, obviously. You can do Sleep-Wake Cycle. You don't need to know too much about uh, other than um, what the Great Darkness is. And um, that sets up perfectly this crazy, messed up world everybody's living in now. Let me... uh... Um, Lore wise, I see what you're what you mean, Mark. Like lore wise and mythology wise, there's just so much out there, so many layers, so much crossover. But um, to me, that all comes uh, only if the listeners want to get that deep into it, which many of them do with their theories and everything on Discord. But you also don't need to look at it that deeply. You know, it's an onion you can peel however deeply you want to and enjoy it to whatever degree you want to. But yeah, mythology wise, like if, you know, it, I, I understand why people um, want us to uh, get our Wikipedia page up there so that they have yeah. some sort of central resource where they can just go and be like, oh, okay. Yeah, I want I want to get this question in simply because I I promised this person that I would I would ask awesome. this question. Uh, this is from Serp. I think I'm saying that right. I apologize, Serp, if I'm I'm not like like Serp like no C E R P. Oh, they have a cool picture of a death's head moth. Um, so their question is: Is the Tower of Teeth influenced by or the same thing as the Great Hunger that the Carnivians suffered? Referring to or they're referring to the tales of Maltopia episode twelve, where uh, the story I wrote called it, I think I called it the Tower of Teeth, or no, I called it I don't know what I called it. I called it something, but it's basically about a woman who goes into the Tower of Teeth and there's a salivation and this great hunger that overtakes her. So I'll leave that to you, Mark. How much you want to reveal about Tower of Teeth? It's definitely related to the Carnivian, and it also brings up an opportunity for me to kind of distinguish the two flavors of maltopia i guess like when i'm writing the series maltopia and i have all the lore and i have all the mythology it's kind of like the more systematized version of what i have in my head that constitutes maltopia because it's a bit more um definitive you know it's got it, it, it's got very specific things going on in it and it, it has a, a kind of brochure of things that you can expect to find in maltopia and so on and so forth and how they're interacting and then there's the kind of more abstract surrealistic kind of quality to my concept of maltopia which comes out in in stories like the actor um and some of the other stories if you've read any other my stories on um yeah tells of maltopia yeah lost library and on Patreon, the, the where we have them stocked, and you'll kind of see there's there's a different flavor of Maltopia going on there. It's a less it's less scientized. It's not really talking about things in a very. Um, I'm just reading something. Um, that's uh, Tales of Maltopia episode twelve. Oh, oh no, that, that's uh, yeah, it's out of order. I know which one she's talking about. It's called like the Hunger or something like that. I, I wrote okay. it. It was it was about the Tower of Teeth. It was a woman who broke in. She. She, she, uh, I believe she was like one of those people who breaks into abandoned places. And that's where the Carnivian spirit, um, 
is more in play than what you would normally expect when we drop the word carnivian, which is the slavering monster that converts, you know, creatures into some semblance of of itself while, while advantaging itself with all the newly acquired genetic advantages or what have you. Whereas in this story, you're kind of, rep I'm kind of rep I think you wrote it. Um, I wrote it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more representative of a kind of abstraction of the carnivian, like the spirit of the carnivian, how it kind of spiritually infests an area and that they're not, they're not specifically contained to a kind of monstrous form that they can exist in that kind of more abstract way where they exist as a kind of a spirit or a compulsion that comes to you after you've gotten too close to something that's uh, symbolic of them or something along well, those The carnivian are, from what I understand, I guess. I understand are children of a greater power and that's the never is it the never-ending hunger the hunger that never ends but anyway it's it's the bottomless the hunger the bottomless. i think at the bottom the bottomless hunger it, the, the carnivian from what i understand mark correct me if i'm wrong are like the children of the bottomless hunger but they're not the only children right and they're not the only representation like you have the right. gray flame and there are people who worship the gray flame yeah and then you know there's, there's what, a lot of different branches that come out from that that bulge if you will and they don't necessarily converge they just kind of keep dendritically spreading out and turning into different things and, and just engaging different ideas and themes as they go along and transforming accordingly based on how much contact or whatever um but in that story you know we we, we try to conjure a completely different atmosphere at least a somewhat different atmosphere where we're not really talking about hard connectivities between this thing and that thing um and just really talking about it in abstractions and 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 kind of whispers and i think that was my original idea for maltopia was to write it a bit more surrealistically and i didn't think that kind of thing would float initially so we went with something a little bit more hardcore um something that had a little bit more science fiction quality to it which is to say it kind of tried to make a bit more sense rather than to leave things to you know the imagination or the the unbidden powers of you know the utra this or that or it was just you know initially it was just kind of like an idea that didn't necessarily lend itself to a precise logic in terms of how it articulated itself um I but since that... then i read and, and i was looking for you know like anybody that's looking for an excuse to do something you want to find precedent somewhere something that resembles what you want to do so that you can kind of say okay well they did it now i'm going to do it well after i had done all this after maltopia had already come into its own had been kind of established in the ways that we've established it i then read um one of our uh friends on the network um i never remember names but it's it's the um uh, I am silver versus uh, I am I am in a skew. I, I am in a skew. Uh, yeah. You know, they're currently writing the silver versus, and that kind of writing was what I wanted to do. And I and then I found him. Like, oh, this did very well, and it and, and it was wonderful. And if I had read this first, if I saw that this was something I could do, that somebody had done it and people enjoyed it, I would have gone through with doing what I initially wanted to do. But I didn't run into it at the, at the appropriate time. I ran into it uh, later. So every now and then I like to sneak in a story that's a little bit more abstract, a little bit more um, disconnected from hard logics, something that just allows me to go wherever I want to go. And I don't have to pay that much of attention, that much attention to any precedents I may have already set in other stories. Um, so that's kind of where that comes from. So any of that babbling makes any sense, I sometimes draw. Well, short answer is the, 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 I think Mark would agree, the, the Tower of Teeth is a aspect or a manifestation, a, a, a different manifestation of the bottomless hunger. Right, 
Yeah. It's 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 related, it's definitely related to the Carnivian, but it's that it's under that umbrella of the greater Bulja right. of the bottomless hunger. It's just it's another manifestation. We don't know, we can't tell you how it was created, uh, because it was created during the great darkness, but it was it, it was that force that was seem to be responsible for at least that at least that's what's being hinted at in, in the at this point you know you, you've been uh introduced to the bottomless hunger via the carnivian and on stories of the tower of teeth and what have you but yeah it's it's basically a a, a a representation or a structure that reflects an aspect of the bottomless hunger well given that uh season three is roughly a month away give or take um it seems likely to me we could do at least one more episode if uh the audience is willing um you know another discussion episode some more questions from the audience yeah. see if uh, we see if we can't get them to um come over to our discord leave some questions maybe even uh check out our patreon and uh, consider joining the community there and uh, let us know uh, any questions they have, any thoughts they have on uh, current and past series. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh, and also perhaps a a good final question with um, the Halloween season right around the corner. Can we expect maybe just a random uh, one-off episode uh, Halloween special voiced by uh, Kelly, like some crazy witch or something. Yeah, we should do something. Doing. We should do something special for Halloween, shouldn't we? We should have one where just like a Halloween party with all the main characters talking. Just, just something like like the Family <laughs> Man talks to the Dead Knot. Talks to Keith. They just—they're all just attending this weird Halloween party where they just. It would be an interesting conversation. Oh, that is so. You know what we could do? Uh, well, we could field, (laughs) we could field um, uh, suggestions from the audience, like on Discord and Patreon. Let us know the two characters you, two or three characters maybe you would like to see in a conversation. Doesn't matter what series they're from. And um, also, we could even um, put all the names in a hat and then like a whose line is it anyway thing where we have the character names in one hat and we have specific situations in another, like Family Man and Dead Knot. Uh, Family Man is ordering a Subway sub from the Dead Knot. <laughs> and the that franchise is owned by Aunt Birdie. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I think uh, one of our patrons had an, awesome. ex- an excellent idea. She, she, she. I think it was Hellenius recommended that we have a show where we have the various characters on, but it's kind of like a science theater three thousand where they're all watching movies together. That'd and be they amazing. Just, and they yeah. just narrate, and we just have the various characters like giving their opinions on the movie that they're watching. <laughs> I could see the family man like criticizing Jason. Just be like, "There's, there's no art here. There's no <laughs> this, this, this mindless bastard just Amateur. one foot in front of the other." He's gonna speak in his his characteristic purple prose. There's no art to be found in the slamming of sleeping bags again. You know, whatever he would say. I get so much flack for that guy too. 
Like every negative criticism, every negative comment we've ever gotten had to deal with the, the poor family man. Really? But I don't think they really don't get is that that he's 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 crazy. It's it's he's right. supposed it's to be. That's what he's. It's easily the most polarizing show we have. Like people come at me like the the guy sounds like he's trying to. I don't know, be a poet or something like that. I'm like, he's crazy. He's a crazy psychotic. That's kind of the whole yeah. thing. That he's he just speaks in a very crazy way. Crazy he just way. kind of really works. Um, that's how. That's why I try to point out about the the uh, exopaths is that the way they talk is purposely done unrealistically. They don't. They don't like Baron. When Baron talks, he doesn't talk like a normal person. You'll notice everyone around him does. But Baron talks in a very unrealistic fashion. And I like that about the Exopaths because they, they live in their own fucking world where they yeah, just they're, they, they're they kind of contained within their lunacy. And they, so they express from that place and it's they just they, they, they roll. They don't they, they don't adhere to social constraints. That's why all the exopaths talk kind of lofty or they talk kind of weird. And they don't talk in a way that is well, they're, 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 they're meant to be like physical manifestations to the you know, they're, they're yeah. opposing traditional reality they're like talking paradigms like what would the spirit of you know insane art say to reality if they were to sit down at a bar and have a conversation you know they're just these weird exchanges which is why i always liked having them interact with each other which is why the main the primary dynamic in the the family man or whatever i called it um was that they were all coming together it was more of a fight of of these bizarre philosophies as much as it was a physical contest and that that's what i always enjoyed about writing that series was it was more Yes, it expressed itself in violence, but it was they were really just contesting con concepts of how reality should govern itself or how they thought it should govern itself anyway. That but, reminds me that reminds me of uh, years ago. I was talking to a friend when uh, Clerks came out, Kevin Smith's indie movie, and everybody <laughs> loved it. And I, I loved it. And I was like, what, what did you think? He's like, I, I hated it. And I'm like, what? What are you talking? How could you? And he's like, it's the dialogue. Nobody talks like that in real life. And I'm like, exactly. That's why it's yeah. so damn good. Yeah. Nobody talks like that in real life, but they mm -hmm. fucking should. Yeah. You know, well, that's that's why I like the exopath so much. So like when I when I read, I, there, there hasn't been many criticisms of them, but they're like, well, they talk weird. That's the whole point. Is uh, you're yeah. getting it. Is they they talk weird yeah. because they are literally the epitomes of the of the the insanity that they represent so they they don't by definition conform to any social constraints mm -hmm. whatsoever they are just free flowing insanity in philosophy and that's how they talk and they Could don't care that nobody talk like baron if you if you listen to baron <laughs> he just goes on goes on and on and on about things and and everybody looks at him like and then we'll we'll put things in there like yeah like uh when um the family man talks to uh what's the guy with the the bus oh uh, he, he goes I, he goes i must grimes, go somewhere yeah. where nightmares like he says something very lofty and then grimes kind of like yeah that's uh that's what nightmares do i guess uh <laughs> and they they all everyone they talk to who is normal notices that they do they talk really weird but they're also imposing figures so they don't they don't say anything about it like they can it, get away I mean, with could you imagine could you imagine wicked walking up to baron and being like bro you know like <laughs> they wouldn't up? talk to they don't talk to each other like you'll notice like v talks normal v, v yeah is, v, yeah uh, 
and it was the most movie. normal of the bunch. And that was that was you know going going back to your to your to your voice acting that was something that was difficult to do too because she starts out fairly normal, mm-hmm. yeah. then she's introduced to some really strange stuff, and you start to see that the character is beginning to break as she goes along, and yeah. I, and I think you did so much justice to that as she did so because there's a clear arc there where she's starting to kind of go a little crazy. Oh, and yeah. she can't help but to go crazy under the circumstances she's exposed to. Yeah. But I think Love that's it's kind of the, you know, when 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 I think of the exopaths and some of the other characters that I've developed, going back to the initial question, like, where do I grab my influences from? Um, you know, like I was talking about uh, with the sleep-wake cycle with, with Isaiah and um, uh, Rosemary, you know, they're kind of part and parcel to my own disorders, and I kind of divided them up and assign them an aspect of those disorders or my overall global disorder, whatever, however you want to phrase that. And with the the exopaths, I mean, I kind of grab a lot from those instances where I had, you know, I don't know what you'd want to call it, a decompensation episode or, you know, I went a little nuts. And I kind of channeled a lot of that weirdness. I mean, when I a lot of times this stuff happens when you're first in college for some reason, a developmental point in your life, I guess, where the brain goes through some subtle changes that if you have the tendency to to, to have this thing, it's going to manifest during this period of time. I started to believe there was an evil genius trying to poison my food and doing all these very strange things. That's to That's actually an interesting thing to bring up as uh, one of your characters is based off of your he is the evil genius. The, the actual evil <laughs> genius is in the damnation machine. Um and when you're in these these frames of mind, uh, you think some very strange things. Now, with me, um, as opposed to, say, somebody else that has the same disorder, I mean, I was able to kind of hold it together, and I don't think a lot of people knew I was having some problems. And so I was able to kind of function in this very bizarre state. And my journals reflect that. As I say, I'm always writing things and, and so on and so forth. So I would reflect on what I had written and the thoughts that I had, the strange, I mean, me reading that now in a period, in a, in a phase where I'm not suffering from any of those things, um, it kind of creates me, recreates me as the alien I once was. And I draw from that. And it's those kinds of bizarre thoughts. Um, and the, even the way that I spoke was reflected in those journals. I spoke in a completely different way as I was reflecting on my experiences, trying to figure out what was wrong with myself. Um, and that's kind of where I drew from for the exopaths, because I came up with so many bizarre things when I was in whatever state you want to call it, um, which is distinct, really. I mean, I should also say that, but, you know, I've been diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder a number of times, but I don't know if that's what it is because I'm able to come out of it pretty completely. Um, so it's it's different for me because I get to look almost detached in a detached way back at these these episodes that I have. Um, and they really do texture a lot of the exopaths uh, because when you're in these modes Stephen has the same thing you think in extraordinarily weird almost purplish ways um and so it's very easy for me to cobble that into a character and and kind of get into the mindset of what they're thinking because when you're in these states the world is like a, it's just so bizarre i don't even know how to describe it you um you really don't have a sense of of what's going on. Anything can happen, and anything is is uh, grist for processing seriously. Even if it does later on occur to you that whatever you were thinking was completely insane, and you just kind of take insane ideas to whatever illogical conclusion you're mm-hmm. capable of bringing them, and the results are unquestionably odd. And so I would take some of that stuff and just throw it 
at the family man or Janice, the two-faced psychopath or something like that. And that, that is where some of my characters come from when I need to understand things at that level where we're talking about guys who are just trying to posit a completely different paradigm. You know, they want to bring their insane dream over top reality. They, they don't want to adjust themselves in accordance with the reality. They want to overthrow it and they want to replace it with whatever's going on inside of their head. Um, and so that is a place where it comes from. And, and that is why Donald sounds as weird as he does, because he doesn't really he's not reacting in the same world as everyone else is. He's trying to reach equilibri equilibrium with a world that is not this one. And so that can't help but to reflect oddly to anyone who's not in that world with him. And so that's kind of why he comes off the way that he does. But um, yeah, that's that's. But Donald has always been the most polarizing. Everybody has. I, you know, whenever we get a really scathing comment, it's almost always going to be a family man. Um, which to me, I love writing. I love being able to write just crazy shit and then try to cobble it into some sense of. You know, trying to make it as coherent as I can to make mm -hmm. it as, as interesting and as labyrinthine, even, you know, trying to make it confusing intentionally, but also including some primers for making sense of it, you know, and that's just kind of how I approach that whole project. Awesome. Well, that, that sounds good to me. I think that's a nice, that's a nice rounded out episode. Here's some shit from Mark's crazy past. And <laughs> right. That sounds all right to me. <laughs> and on that note, let's get out of here. So we may uh, do a Halloween uh, one-off of some sort if we have the time to put something together. Um, season three of Sleep Wake Cycle will be starting uh, roughly in October. We have Steve's new series, uh, complimenting Grimland bi-weekly over on the Maltopia feed. Uh, we have all kinds of exclusive content on our Patreon, and you can join us on our Discord uh, for uh, more discussion and uh, that community over there. You can find it's a very good stuff. community. Uh, want to vouch for them? It's a very good community. They're very talkative, very welcoming. Um, Wonderful. They, lo they love to talk about Meltopia and other things. There's other subject matters on there too. I put in there like movies, and, uh, music, and we're going to yeah, ask maybe. where uh, Kelly and I, as Isaiah and uh, Rosemary, do some Christmas carols. Yes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> maybe imagine? we should add. Maybe we could add a. Uh, if we don't already have one, a science. Did they ask you to sing something? Huh? Did I? I seem to recall like writing something, a note to you once that said something like, can you sing song? Did I, did I am I just remembering? It's a false memory. I don't I remember. Like, I probably would have had a moment where I panicked and I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was one part where I was writing and I, I, I wrote a note or I can't remember what it was. If it was I think there is something that says sing songy and I think it was. Or something oh like yeah. It, um, was it Charlotte? It might, yes, it might have yeah. been sure. I think because so. I think she was like sing songy, like speaking to the yeah. room in one of those. Some, it was one of those scenes. Yeah, yeah. We could do a whole cabaret thing. It'd be amazing. <laughs> the animation machine, you know, the sleep wake cycle, the musical. <laughs> It'd be spectacular. <laughs> It'd open and close in the same night. <laughs> but we'd have fun. That's all that matters. <laughs> 
Steph, Sal, Sal will come in the background. He's the, only, <laughs> the only say, like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah, I could I sing so long as I've got effects over my voice. I could I could do the dead knot. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> be kind of amazing, actually. <laughs> I'm always down for everything. <laughs> Let's try it. <laughs> so we will see... Uh what the audience thinks of these discussion episodes, maybe get another one in before um, the uh, new three. series come out and everything I mentioned, discord, Patreon, you can find all of that uh, as well as links to uh, our social media, Twitter and Instagram. You can find all that at maltopia.com. And before the, uh, the premiere of season three of sleep wake cycle, We'll be putting out a newsletter and we're going to see about um, getting you some something cool, maybe a hefty discount over at our Tee Public store. Um, so you could snag a season three sleep wake cycle T-shirt or something to that effect. But we don't put out many newsletters. Um, I'm always of the mind um, with all the website copy and marketing copy I've written over the past several years, I'm always of the mind that less is more when it comes to newsletters, but I suppose we should be putting out at least a few more than we are so far, maybe a quarterly one, but um, we'll be putting one out before season three begins. Uh, so look for that. You can sign up for that newsletter on our website as well. Uh, any parting words from anyone? Um Get out of here. <laughs> we're all like, uh, get out of here. Just talked to you two, two and a half hours. And now we're shy. Like, oh, no. If you've made it this far in one listening, congratulations. You win. Yeah, what? you win. Probably a headache. I don't know. Yeah. But all I right. Think, thank you. I'm thinking uh, the same thing most people are like, how come they just get on here and just spitball we have questions we had a lot of them we just kind of yeah, we went over the we got the we got a lot of the patreon questions we got a lot of the actor questions we got we, 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 you know, I, we tried good. to go in order i think we i think well, hopefully we, the the audience will send us some more uh on yeah. discord and patreon so that we can get one more and answer some more questions before the fall yeah. um kelly please thank david again for joining us and of course thank you as well for joining us and thank you to all the listeners for tuning in yes thank you very much yeah we'll see you all next time hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.